Welcome in. Episode 29 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. Another week of NFL football in the books. I know we spoke last time about how uh, how excited we were that football was back and without any boundaries, no hindrances. COVID-19 testing has been taking place. None of the players have been tested positive. There's been a few personnel and coaches that have tested positive. I believe five out of the last 20,000 that were tested. So good news for football to continue without any major bumps in the road. Uh, more of the same for the New York Jets. Another really uh, just just overall underwhelming performance on Sunday. They lose to the 49ers 31-13. Uh, the Giants back in action against the Chicago Bears. Looked really flat for the majority of the first half. Obviously a big injury to Saquon Barkley, tearing his ACL. He's out for the year. Uh, the Giants tried to mount the comeback in the second half. They were close to doing it. Had the ball in Bears territory territory with an opportunity to win at the end of the game and, and couldn't capitalize and couldn't finish the drive off. So they fall to 0-2 with a 17-13 loss to the Bears. Uh, so obviously we, we kind of knew coming into this year that it was going to be a long year for New York football. Um there were certain things that you were hoping to see, and there's still a lot of season left to be able to see those things. Uh, but through the first two weeks, still a little bit of concern for both teams and still a ways to go before they're, they're playing competitive football. So we're going to follow a similar format than we did in last episode. We're kind of going to run through the whole entire NFL, the whole slate of games, uh, talk about some major storylines from some games, some big performances that caught our eye. And uh, we'll also – I have a rapid fire for you, Rob, at the end of this episode. We're going to bring that back. I know okay. – Right around the draft, um, we did a rapid fire, and there really hasn't been too many things, uh, too many big things that would warrant bringing back the rapid fire. But now that we're two weeks into the uh, NFL season, I think it's appropriate to bring it back. But we'll start with the Giants. Now, obviously, losing Saquon Barkley is a big blow because of how electrifying of a player he is. But, Rob, you spent a lot of time last episode talking about how you're not a fan of Barkley's style of running, being the home run hitter. And you have to wonder now. Because Deion Lewis, his workload is obviously going to go up. The Giants just finalized the deal to bring in Devontae Freeman. You would imagine that after he passes COVID tests and gets acclimated with the offense, that he's going to get a huge chunk of the carries. So, listen, I'm never going to wish for injury on anybody. And I'm not going to say that this is a blessing. But I'm kind of thinking that you might see a little bit more balance to the Giants' offense, bringing in a guy like Freeman or giving the ball to a guy like Deion Lewis that's not going to have that home run hitter style of running. And maybe that opens up a little bit of potential play action for Daniel Jones and maybe takes a little bit of pressure off the line uh, knowing that they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to open up that gaping hole for Barkley to make something happen. Yeah, well, you know, Andrew, I did say that last week and this goes back to the draft, uh, you know, uh, as wonderful as a talent and as good as a human being as Saquon Barkley is, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't in agreement with him being taken with the number two overall pick. So my opinion's been out there for a while now. Um, again, he's a wonderful talent, but again, you know, looking at that game the other day when he got hurt, I mean, I felt bad for the kid because he's a great kid. He's a classy kid. Uh, and, and, you know, talking to other giant fans as well, you never felt like it was a devastating loss. And, you know, part of it, of course, is because nobody expected the Giants to do anything this year anyway. Um, and part of it is because, you know, Saquon Barkley really has not, you know, done a lot over the last probably 10, 12 games, you know, going back to last season. So, uh, you know, I, I'm one to say, again, I, I said it last episode and I've said it in the past, get me the guy that can just get me three or four 
yards, tough yards, just just get something and make positive yardage. Saquon Barkley, if he doesn't see that big hole, tries to bounce it outside and get and try and hit that home run. And a lot of times it puts you in a position to where you're second and 12, second and 14, third and 10. You know, you know, it's negative yardage. You cannot have that. Again, he's a wonderful talent. It's just not my flavor. I'm not big on that sort of running back. That's my opinion. I'll stay with that always. Um, going to the Giants now, as far as how they're going to handle this now, yeah, they brought in Devontae Freeman. They'll have Deion Lewis uh, as a third down back probably. Devontae Freeman's had some very good years with Atlanta. Obviously, he got cut this year. He went into Philadelphia, went to Seattle, never signed a contract. He went to the Jaguars, didn't sign a contract. He gets he gets just about on the veterans minimum of around three million dollars for this season to finish it out. You know, Devontae Freeman will get you some tough yards. He'll run in between the tackles. And unlike Saquon Barkley, who tries to jump over people, dance around people, Devontae Freeman is more of a physical runner. And to be honest with you, Andrew, it's going to improve the offensive line, I think. Because when the offensive line doesn't have to sustain the blocks in order to get Barkley while he's dancing around, it makes them look a little bit better. And I think they're just going to put the ball in Daniel Jones's hands and see what he could do with it. You know, you, you'll you'll use the running game as a complement to his passing game. I think it's going to come Jones first now, uh, where it used to be Barkley first, and everything went around. You know, the, the offense went around Saquon Barkley. It's going to go around Daniel Jones now. So now Daniel Jones will get to him. He's got to stop the turnovers. He had two more turnovers last week in the first half, an interception, and he had a bad fumble again, and it's a bad fumble. I understand it was it was on a pass rush, but he stayed in the pocket too long. He needs to learn to step up into the pocket and feel that pass rush, and again, it's only because it's youth. You know, it's inexperienced still. He, he'll get that. He'll have to learn to move up in that pocket and get away from that swipe on a pass rush. Um so we're going to see what happens. Evan Ingram is probably going to come into play a lot now because they're going to need him in order to move the chains. Just found out today that Sterling Shepard is going to be out at least three weeks or three games. They put him on IR, which is now a three-game three, uh, three game stint on, on the IR. Um, so they put Shepard on the IR. So they'll have to go with Slayton. They'll have to go with Ingram. They'll use Deion Lewis some. They'll get Do- uh, Devontae Freeman acclimated to the offense. And we'll go from there. You know what? Again, Andrew, I told you in the beginning of the season, I wanted to see the Giants play competitive football. They were in the game against the Steelers. The big Daniel Jones turnover off that 87-yard, 18-play drive killed them because they could have took a lead right there, and they would have been right in that game in the third quarter. And then coming, bouncing back into that into in, in the second half, you know, after being down 17-0 and not looking good in that first half, they bounced back and they didn't quit. And that's what I'm looking for in this young team. Joe Judge, I thought, had done a really, really good job so far. And I love the fact that he ran out onto the field and he actually was one of the two guys that helped Barkley off the field, had him over his shoulder and helped him off. It just shows, you know what, the other players see that and they see the love that, that Judge has for his players. And I and I like what Judge has done so far with this team. Again, it's about building a culture. This team has the worst record over the last what is it? The last three and a half years, or over the last 50 games, they're 12 and 38. Come on, you cannot have that as a giant franchise. And the one thing, Andrew, and I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm sure maybe you'll be in agreement with me, even though you're not a Giant fan, but I think this Barkley injury uh, seals uh, Gettleman's fate. I think it seals his fate. 
I think they're yeah. going. I think I think it seals his fate because he took him over, number two overall. And you know, I understand a guy like Ezekiel Elliott was taken fourth overall, but you look at a lot of running backs around the league, Andrew, over the last few years, and a lot of them were taken second, third, fourth rounds, and have a lot of success. When you take a guy number two overall, man, this cannot happen to a franchise. It just cannot. So I think that kind of sealed Gettleman's fate here. And if the Giants have a 4-12, 5-11 season, which I'm kind of expecting, I had him at a high end of 6-10, 7-9 maybe, um, I think it seals Gettleman's fate. And I think he'll get he'll wind up ultimately getting fired. But at the end of the season, my only – and not that I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm interested to see if the rest of the season, if you just continue to see baby steps and and little strides from Daniel Jones, where by the end of the season, you're fully confident that he is the guy moving forward. That, again, was a Gettleman pick. And in a quarterback-driven league, I feel like that might that might lead them to to extend his stay as Giants general manager a little bit longer because you can miss on a bunch of other picks. But to me, with the way the NFL is played now, if you hit on the quarterback, when we've seen so many teams in quarterback purgatory over the past decade, if you hit on the quarterback, I think for right or wrong reasons, it overshadows a lot of the other misses. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. But I just think Gettleman's had a lot of misses and and his roster after his third year is still flawed. Uh, I thought that the defense in itself, and I, I and I've read some articles where people thought the defensive line played well, and the defense played well. And, and first of all, you're playing against the Chicago Bears and Trubisky, so I, I'm not going to take that into account. Secondly, this is the second week in a row that the running game has destroyed this defensive line. Now, this is the defensive line where he drafted Dexter Lawrence. He made that uh, controversial trade where he traded a third round pick. And which became a fourth round pick as well for Leonard Williams last year where, you know, Leonard Williams would have been a free agent. And and you had a situation last week, um, last game where it was first and 25, first and 25. The Bears ran the ball up the middle and gained 23 yards. That should never, ever, ever, never, ever happen, ever so, you know, he's had guys that he's drafted along that defensive line right now and, and linebacker play and, 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 the, and you know, the, 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 the uh, DeAndre Baker in which you moved up in order to draft DeAndre Baker. That was a debacle. You know, Sam Beal taking him with the third round as supplemental and losing the third round pick the following year, taking him in a supplemental draft who now opted out. And Beal never really has done much in, in this defense as well. So there's there's a lot of issues right now with with Gettleman and, and some of the questionable uh, picks that he's made, including Barkley right now. You have to include him. Yes, he got us Daniel Jones. But at the same time, he's missed on a lot. And this this roster, the way I look at it, is still flawed. And it's still very flawed. It's going to take at least another couple of years for this roster to be somewhat competitive, in my opinion. As much as they played hard the last couple of games, at the same time, you know, it, it's in spurts. It's in spurts. And I just I like the fact that they don't have Quittenham. But it's just in spurts, and I still see a lot of flaws. So I think Gettleman after this year is in a lot of trouble. Well, that's the disheartening part, right? Because we were both in agreement that the Giants were not going to compete this season, right? But you were looking just to see steps in the right direction along the way. The most disheartening part is even though you weren't expecting them to win, these were two winnable games with the way that they unfolded. I mean, we mentioned last week we broke down how the Giants were right on the verge of taking a 17-16 lead over Pittsburgh late in the third quarter. It was an eight, nine-minute 
drive that Daniel Jones led down the field. At that point, you take a lead on Pittsburgh late in the third quarter in your own building. You're in the driver's seat at that point. For an offense in the Steelers that didn't look good for the better portion of the first half, the Giants could have had a, a much better shot at winning that game. And then even in this game against the Bears, you figured even though there were mistakes made in that Steeler game, you felt if the Giants played the same way that they did against the Steelers, against the Bears, just eliminate that mistake or two, that they could win the game. Yeah. And unfortunately, the mistakes were still there. You mentioned the fumble from Jones, the interception. You had a missed field goal from Graham Gano, and they were still in position at the end of the game to to win the game. You know, driving down the field, they had the ball. I believe it. The, they got it all the way down to the Bears' 14-yard line on the final drive of the game, and were unable to punch it in. So they are right there, even though this roster is flawed. They are right there, and I think that's probably the most disheartening part for the Giant fans because if yeah, one or two things could have bounced a different way, you could have. Like almost, I said, yeah. I thought Judge has done a terrific job so far. Um, you know, this week's a big week because this, you know, believe it or not, I know it's the 49ers, but this is a very winnable game and a game that, right. in all honesty, they should win. You got no Jimmy G. You're probably going to have no Kittle. You have no uh, no, no uh, Bosa that's going to be there. Bosa's out with the ACL. Solomon Thomas is out. Richard Sherman is out. Raheem Mostert is out. They have a ton of injuries, the 49ers, and this should be a winnable game for the Giants. And again, I know they're at home, but with no fans. But at the same time, you know what? San Francisco Francisco had a flight in New York. They then flew to Virginia after the game to go practice and stay in a hotel there. And they're going to be flying on Saturday um, to come back and play the Giants on Sunday. And it's also a one o'clock game, which is beneficial towards the East Coast teams because of the three hour time difference and stuff like that. So this is, believe it or not, a winnable game for the Giants. And this is a game I, I, I believe that the Giants should win. I'm sorry. I know it's the 49ers, but at the same time, the 49ers have nothing on offense, especially with Kittle out now. I, I, you know, they have Mohamed Sanu right now as their most veteran receiver, Kendrick Bourne, Brandon Ayuk. This is a winnable game, and this is the game that the Giants need to compete in and need to come out with a win, to be honest with you. And you know what? You know, they, they get a win, and you know what? They feel good about themselves, and you know, they can carry it over into week four. But let's see what they let's see how they come out because I tell you the truth, if they come out and throw up a stinker, or, or at the very least they you know they 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 play a bad first half and then come back in the second half and still lose the game, it's not good enough. Not good enough. This needs to be a four quarter game for the Giants. There'll be no excuses here, and especially for the fact that the 49ers are going to have this turf in their head because they were all complaining about the turf. The turf, the turf, the turf, you know, the turf was bad. The cleats were sticking. But you know what? The turf got certified. Nobody else was having a problem on that turf except for the 49ers pretty much. Yeah, and, no, you know, no Jets were it, injured. Oh, no Steelers and Giants right. were injured the week before. I think right, that's all nonsense. Right. Hey, listen, Barkley, Barkley tore his ACL on a grass field in Chicago. So, you know, come on. And Bose's ACL was in, was in a pileup, you know, was amongst the pileup. So it has nothing to do with the turf. So, come on, let's stop with the excuses. But maybe, hey, maybe that plays a role. Maybe that gets into the 49ers' heads. Who knows? You know, we'll see what happens. But, again, this is a winnable game for the Giants. And all the Giants have their own injuries on the offense, of course, missing Barkley and now Sterling Shepard with the turf toe. You know, the Giants still have enough there where they could still compete, you know, offensively. They'll probably get Freeman, you know, probably get 10 to 12 touches Freeman, I'm sure. And Deion Lewis will spell him. I don't know if they'll dress Goldman. They didn't draft, uh, draft um, dress them last game, but I'm sure they're going to dress them this game, Goldman, because they're going to need that third back there because, of, again, because of the um, because of the Freeman situation just coming in now and just basically learning a playbook. Uh, so we'll see what's going to happen. And 
like again, I, I'm expecting the Giants to compete. All right, so we can get off the Giants and we can get into the Jets, man. And I tell you, Andrew, you talk. I, I listen. I, I look at the Giants and I look at the Jets, and I'm like, okay, I'm glad I'm a Giant fan right now. And this year, I'm always glad I'm a Giant fan as opposed to a Jet fan in life. But I'm watching the Jets, and I tell you, there's really not much to say, Andrew. I, I tell you, there's not much to say at all. Dono looks terrible. And, again, I understand he doesn't have the weapons. Perriman got hurt. I, I, I get all that. But Dono still does not look good. Adam Gase is coming under fire. In fact, I believe they're having a protest tomorrow. Uh, the Jet fans, yet another protest the Jets are having. Jet fans are having over a coach. Um, so I, I just uh, – that team – they could be destined for 0-16, and I'll tell you right now, it would be difficult for them to win in Indianapolis this week. I don't see them beating the Colts at all, so we'll see what happens. I I, I don't know if I see them uh, beating the Colts, but, I mean, this is – this is the Colts are a team that's that's not that good where they're going to absolutely blow them out of the building, I don't believe. I know that the spread is 10.5. I find that to be very high. I know the Jets have been terrible these first two weeks, but – when Sunday comes around, if you see more of the same of the past two weeks, I, I mean, does that not finally warrant a move to be made? I mean, you had Christopher Johnson coming out, backing Adam Gase, saying that he's a brilliant offensive mind. Uh, I don't know what kind of game Christopher Johnson's watching. I don't, I don't know what kind of game anybody in that Jets front office is watching if they think that Adam Gase is cut out for this job. And I said this last week, Darnold deserves a lot of the blame, too. Because there are rookie decision-making blunders that he's made, dating back to last season, continuing into this season, which is unacceptable for a kid that's in his third year. And I found this just super-duper interesting and, 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 quite frankly, just moronic. So I forget where he was or who he was talking to, but Todd McShay was being interviewed about what the Jets – should do if they get the number one overall pick, if they should draft Trevor Lawrence. And Todd McShay said that, and I'm paraphrasing, he said something along the lines of how that would be one of the most monumental mistakes any franchise has made in professional sports. He said that Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent and ultimately he thinks he's going to be a, a great quarterback in this league. But Sam Darnold is going to be a top four quarterback in this league. It just hasn't manifested itself yet. And I'm just I'm just floored. What game is Todd McShay watching that he sees that? I mean, all these guys I've never seen. You know, a lot of these analysts, they always have this player to watch for in the draft every year. And sometimes they're wrong and they'll come out and say they're wrong. But this Sam Darnold case is something I've never seen before because everybody in the media who thought Darnold was going to be a stud continues to be a Darnold apologist and just continues to shove down everyone's throats that there is just insanely high play there that just hasn't been tapped into yet. And I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I know the coach is not great. I know there's not creativity on the offense. I know that there's not a lot of weapons on the offense. But did the lack of weapons in the coach tell him to roll left back up and throw off his back foot across the field? Did the coach or the lack of weapons tell him to take a take a delay of game coming out of a TV timeout? Did, did the coach or the lack of weapons tell him last year to throw the ball lefty while he was being sacked into the end zone for an interception? That's not coaching. That's not poor coaching. That's not lack of weapons. That's just rookie mistakes. And we're continuing to see it. We don't see any growth. And quite frankly, I don't think he's necessarily cut out to be a leader of a team either because he doesn't have any fire or any grit. He, no, he doesn't look like he has any motivation. He's he was got on the California personality. He was on the K show yesterday, and K was asking him, 
you know, who is the guy that steps up in that locker room and says, guys, this is unacceptable after two straight performances that were lackluster like that? And you know what Darnold says? I'm expecting him to see, you know, that falls on me. The offense hasn't been good enough. No, he says Adam is that guy. So he says the coach is the guy. So the coach is the only leader in that room? I'm sorry. That's unacceptable. Unacceptable. No other way to slice it. Unacceptable. If your quarterback doesn't see himself as a leader in that room, that is red flag number one. Red flag number one. Then you take the mistakes and the lack of play and the rookie decision-making. It's all piling up. I'm sorry. From what I've seen, I don't see this guy as the future of the Jets. I don't. Some people might jump me for it. Some people might say I'm being a Jets hater. I'm not. It's just what I'm seeing. And I'm going to be transparent and apologize right now because I know we had a show. I don't know if it was during the NFL playoffs last season or if it was before the draft or after the Super Bowl. I forget when exactly it was. But, Rob, me, you, and I believe we did the show with Charlie – we had a discussion about who, which team we thought was in a better situation moving forward, the Jets or the Giants. And I actually said it was the Jets because that, that defense played really well last season. I felt like you can only get better with Le'Veon Bell. They were going to find a way to incorporate him. I felt that Sam Darnold had a really good, a really good string of games uh, to end last season, I know the Jets ended the season on that 5-1 and one run or whatever it was, and Darnold looked like he was showing a little bit of progression in those games. And quite frankly, I had only seen Daniel Jones for 9-10 games, whatever it was. So I said the Jets, shame on me. Take away any credibility that I have after saying that because it's just a complete 180 now. Well, listen, you just you said know it. What? The Giants are in a much better spot right now. Yeah, a little bit. But you know what? You didn't – you know, at that point, Jamal Adams was still on that roster. You know, you take Jamal Adams off that roster and then C.J. Mosley opts out. Those are two big guys, two big defensive guys for them right there. And again, that defense overachieved even with Jamal Adams on that roster last year, who was their by far their best defender, you know, and as well as Marcus May. Marcus May had a good year, too. But, you know, this year, I, I told you this in the beginning of the year before we, when we did an NFL preview, I told you that it's very rare that a team overachieves two years in a row. And not only did they overachieve, but they over, they're, over, they're, gonna, they're not going to overachieve this year without Jamal Adams, their best player, and all pro safety. So that was not going to happen. Their defense hasn't looked good. And the one thing I'll defend Donald on is the only thing I'm going to defend him on Donald, or Donald, whatever the hell, is that, you know what, there, there is a lack of weapons there. They have not done him any favors. Now, going back to Adam Gase, he's not going anywhere, Jet fans. So any Jet fans out there that has – you know, wants him fired. He's gonna. He's not going to get fired. First of all, Joe Douglas came here because of his relationship with Adam Gates. That's firstly. Secondly, he's has 36 months left on his contract. That's two years, two seasons, and four more games on his contract. So, or oh, 38 games, I believe. Whatever it may be, 36, 38. He's not going anywhere right now. He's not going anywhere. Joe Douglas will not get rid of him. And also, you have to be a little patient. Joe Douglas basically just got here. He just ran one draft. That was it. And he looks like he made a, a hell of a hit with uh, Mekhi Becton because Mekhi Becton looks terrific these first two games. So, you know, give him a chance. They have to they have to get some uh, some offensive playmakers here for Donald, and we'll see what happens if Denzel Mims can come up healthy. Maybe that helps him a little bit. You know, Herndon, from all accounts, everybody was, you know, loving Chris Herndon his rookie year. Last year he was uh, hurt and uh, he was suspended. Uh, and he's coming back this year and he's been terrible the first two games. Nobody expected that. A lot of people were high on Chris Herndon. So, you know, at the same time, you know, as much as we can bash Donald and and I, I've talked to a lot of Jet fans that don't see it in him, Donald. He's 23 years old 
and he really has nobody there for him. There's nobody there. There's zero weapons, Andrew. There really is. And again, I'm not going to be an apologist for Donald because, again, I just don't think that he's the right fit there. I just don't. But at the same time, you could you could kind of defend him to a certain degree and say, okay, let's give this guy another year. Let's see what he could do. But again, if you have the number one first overall pick, you, you're taking Trevor Lawrence. That's hands down. You're taking Trevor Lawrence because you're seeing what Joe Burrow is doing in Cincinnati. And you've seen that Thursday night game. Kid had 62 passes. He didn't throw an interception. You know, so, yeah. I mean, they made him throw the ball 62 games. And albeit he's got some weapons there. He's got Mixon. You know, he's got Giovanni Bernard. I'm not a big A.J. Green guy at all. I think he's highly overrated. But, you know, he's got a, a T. Higgins he brought in. They have Tyler Boyd. So they have some weapons there for him already. Um, his offensive line isn't that great. But Joe Burrow has looked very, very good these first two games. And you could see that Burrow is a quarterback. You know, he's a quarterback. He's going to make guys around him better. I don't think Donald's that type of quarterback. I think Donald's a, is the type of guy that needs to have very good plays around him in order for him to succeed. So that's going to be the problem. But well, I, was, again, I was having a conversation before with one of my friends who's a big Jets fan, and I said to him straight up, I said, I understand that you need to give quarterbacks time to develop. It's very, very rare where a guy comes in and is lights out right off the bat and never looks back. It's very, very, very rare. But with these quarterbacks that have been drafted as high draft picks and have turned out to be formidable NFL quarterbacks, you, you see flashes right away. Like guys like Lamar Jackson, you saw it right away, flashes, and he just continued to get better and better. Mahomes is an outlier because he came and just blew the doors off every defense right off the bat. So, so he's an outlier. Uh, Josh Allen showed you flashes in his rookie season. Kyler Murray showed you flashes with a lack of weapons in Arizona and a terrible offensive line showed you flashes. You're seeing it this year with Burrow. He has some weapons granted, but he's showing you flashes. In game one and game two, he showed you flashes of a franchise quarterback. I can't remember the last time... You saw flashes from Sam Darnold unless they won the game. Yeah, he's had a couple games where he won and looked pretty good. But has there any ever been a time, Rob, where like the Jets lost and you said, It's okay though, Darnold played really well. Well, it goes back Never. to what I said. It goes back to what I said. He's not going to make the team around him better. He he you know, he he's he needs he needs the perfect system with the perfect players around him. He's not going to elevate that team or those players. He's just not. He's. It doesn't seem like that sort of quarterback. And I know a lot of Jet fans probably, probably feel the same way. You know, I can have a neutral opinion because I'm not a Jet fan, but I see what I see. And I do see that this kid right now cannot really elevate a team on his own. But again, he's only 23. So He's going to, you know, unless they have the number one overall pick, he's going to be around for another year, Donald, at least. And they're going to have to surround him with some more weapons because obviously Le'Veon Bell's not the answer. Um, so and neither is Brett Perriman at this point because he's been hurt. And Perriman was just a, you know, he's just a plug and play guy. Perriman was the type of guy that got some volume in Tampa when there were a couple of injuries. So he really was nobody of significance to bring in. They're going to have to really bring in some bona fide offensive players for this kid and see what could happen. But it goes back to what I say. I think he needs the perfect scenario around him to succeed. And that's not the mark of a quarterback. You take three overall. It's just not. No, no. And it's and and. I just don't know how long you can play the waiting game with someone like that. 
Because well, it's, it's you wait not- one, more, you wait one more year. You wait, you wait to see what happens. You know, one more year. Because let me tell you something. You you really have to give it one more year, Andrew. Again, unless they have the first overall pick and have a shot to take Trevor Lawrence, and to me, it's a no-brainer. You take Trevor Lawrence. Otherwise, you got to give him that one more year and try and surround him with the right people. And and that's what it comes down to. I just I just don't. I don't, I don't know, and I, I've said this since day one. I think part of the reason why there's a lot of apologists is because this kid was drafted so high and had so much prowess coming out of USC, which, quite frankly, I've said since day one, I don't know what anybody saw at USC. I really didn't. I, I don't, a lot I, of college football. I didn't see it at, at USC. I didn't Andrew, see it go at back, all. Go back into the USC quarterback history in the NFL. Who succeeded? Carson Palmer. After that, name me a USC quarterback. Sanchez really didn't succeed. He needed the perfect team around him. He had a great defense and some great, you know, great running, a great running game around him. Very good offensive line. So, you know, uh, Matt Linett, uh, Todd Marinovich, you know, we could go on and on. Matt Barkley, we can go on and on with USC quarterbacks that have terrific, terrific college uh, careers and that failed in the NFL. Carson Palmer was the only USC quarterback that I recall that really had any sort of a career. So even I was the same way when, when they took Donald. I didn't want Donald as far as I was concerned for the Giants. I did not want him. I didn't want him. I didn't want Barkley either because I, 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 I didn't want a running back there. If I was the Giants at that point, I would have traded out and just got more draft capital and built your roster that way. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But uh, so I, I didn't I wasn't a big Donald fan coming out myself. I really wasn't. And again, goes back, like you said, his personality. When you're when you're the quarterback, you're the leader of your team. Now, we had, you know, 15 years of Eli Manning, who was never, ever vocal, never vocal. Eli Manning led on the field. He led by example. That's how he did it. Never vocal in the locker room. Wasn't one of the guys to speak up. Tiki Barber, you know, made fun of him. Wasn't right, but he made fun of him in, in that respect. But, you know, so you, you don't have to, but you have to be a leader in some way. And you have to be a leader on the field more than anything and lead that way. And I don't see Don Old yet progressing to that point. So, all right, I think we talked about enough about the Jets. I mean, you know, I tell you what, Andrew, though, think about New York sports in general. Be, you know, I, I know the Giants had a couple of their Super Bowls. Obviously, we've had two in the last, uh, you know, 13 years, 14 years. But you know, you, you you look at you you look at the Knicks. They suck. The Rangers really. I mean, the Rangers have had some, you know, they had some good runs there. You know, they had some good runs. 2013, 14, 15, 16. So they had some good runs. But you know, the Yankees obviously have had their their runs as well, making the playoffs. You know, uh, they've had some. They haven't won since 2009 though. But the Giants, the Jets. We really got nothing going here in New York. You think about it, Andrew. The Nets. No, I mean, what do we got? This really. You you think about a big city like this. What the hell is going on? What is going on here yeah, in this city? The, I don't the understand. Saddest, the saddest part about it, too. I, I don't even know if "sad" is the right word. Maybe more like pathetic. The most pathetic part about it is most of the reason why a lot of these teams in New York have been irrelevant is because of the owners or, or top management, the dysfunction that comes with the people who own the franchise. Well, like the Yankees are fine with the Steinbrenners. The Knicks are a joke with Dolan. And, and, and you know, thankfully, somehow the Rangers, uh, to a much lesser degree under Dolan. Uh, you know, I got I got I got to stop you there for one second, because I'm not I'm not a Dolan basher. 
and I know it's easy to get on him because the Knicks suck. But let me tell you something. You know, he, he's got he's gotten people in place there. He, he's gotten some free agents. You know, it's not his fault. I don't think it's his fault that LeBron didn't come here. It's not his fault that Durant didn't come here. These guys just didn't want to play here. They, I guess they don't want the, 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 you know, the, the pressure of New York. And Durant pretty much said, I didn't come. I didn't want to be a, a Nick, to, you know, to be the savior of a franchise. And I'm like, what? A superstar player? I mean, I remember Messier coming here and wanting to come here because he wanted to slay the dragon and end the, the, the 50 years of misery of not having a Stanley Cup. You know, he, he, he accepted the challenge. You're a superstar player. You don't want to accept the challenge because, to me, there's no better place to win than in New York, period. Hands down, period. That's what I it think, comes down to. I, I think so it starts that their their whole mantra of trying to get the free agent is, is where they're wrong, though, and that starts at the top because all these teams that have had extended periods of relevance – Look at the Warriors. Yeah, they added KD and won the next two titles. But when did they start becoming a really good team? Because of the guys they drafted. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. The Bucs are good because of Giannis. The the Raptors had a run. No, no, no. The Raptors had a big run of success. They drafted the Rose and they drafted Lowry. That's where it starts. Here's the problem, though. The Knicks never sucked enough to where they got a top three pick in in, in those years. In all those years, they were always 10, 11, 12. They never sucked it up. Sometimes you just got to really suck and get those top three picks, period. I mean, listen, the the, Rangers— A bunch of those guys that I just mentioned were not top picks, though. Curry was picked ninth. DeRozan was picked 10th. Giannis was picked 16th. Well, well, Curry, I think, was picked— You don't need the top pick all the time. Curry was picked right in front of the Knicks. That's just bad luck. That's just bad luck. They could have— I I know it. I know know it's bad luck. That's just bad luck. But— it's, I'm just, it's just proving the point that you don't need to completely suck and get the number one pick. Sometimes no. you do because last season, look, number one and number two were bona fide stars and you knew it. So you were hoping you got that pick, but you could still find talent elsewhere in the draft. You don't need that top pick to do it. And they consistently swing and miss. And that starts at the top. Maybe it's not Dolan specifically, but the it's people that Dolan. he had in Listen, place as far as talent evaluation never get it right. Listen, Isaiah Thomas built that that Raptor team years ago. He drafted some really good players back then. When he became that, uh, yeah, he had his issues with the Knicks, all the shit that went on with him. We all understand that. But he's a good evaluator of talent. When Phil Jackson came here, everybody loved it. Every Knicks fan loved it, and they cannot deny it. Every Knicks fan loved it. Phil Jackson's here, blah, blah, blah. I, I was I, Listen, I looked at it. It was like, all right, Phil Jackson's here, but he never built a team that he coached. You know, he went and he only coached superstar players between the Bulls and the Lakers. So, you know, I, I wasn't that enamored with it, but everybody loved the whole Phil Jackson hiring. He tried to hire some of the right guys in place to get these to get the right personnel in order. It just didn't work out. But let me tell you something, that guy will spend the money. But in the NBA, too, it's hard to get these free agents here because they want to play with other superstars. Now, Miami sucked for a few years. They wound up drafting Dwayne Wade. You know, I mean, you know, that's what happens. So what? And 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 Chris Bosh. So what happens? They get Wade and Bosh. They they pick them in as lottery picks. And what happens? He goes to join forces with them. I mean, you know, you, you know, LeBron wasn't going to come here to join forces with Landry Fields. Uh, you know, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but at the same time, as a superstar athlete, don't you want to come to New York and say, okay, he went to the Lakers, LeBron. He went to the Lakers, and Anthony Davis followed him there. Why would you want to come to New York and have Anthony Davis follow you here? Why not? Why not? 
Because so, because they consistently stink, and the reason why they, well, they stink wouldn't stink is because if LeBron, of they have they making the decisions. But they wouldn't stink if LeBron and Anthony Davis came here. I would hope to God they wouldn't stink. Uh, you know, with that they they I mean, wouldn't. But the problem is, is 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 you would never you would never get them here. At least there were pieces in place, and I know they traded the pieces they had in place to get Anthony Davis. But I don't think the Lake and and we can agree that LeBron didn't necessarily go to the Lakers just for basketball. I mean, they no, were other no, reasons he why he went there. His career. Well, you right. can't further your career in New York. I mean, you, know. you, you could, you could, but I don't, I don't know if, I, I just don't know. It's just a stink that follows that team around. And I, and I tend to think it starts up top. I mean, the thing with the Jets too, the, the Jets ownership has been incompetent. We've spoken time and time again about how bad the Mets are run. So we're not going to get into that again. I also don't think it's a, it's a coincidence either that the Islanders, yeah, they had their four cups in a row that was in the, the you know millenniums ago but they were the laughing stock of the league laughing stock of the league until Ledecky bought the team in 2014 and now all of a sudden they're good again so it all starts on top the only team that's run soundly consistently is the Yankees and there's a reason why they haven't had a losing record in 26 years yeah, well, listen, there's, you know, there's no doubt about that. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I'm not one to just keep bashing Dolan because, again, the Rangers have had success under him. He's still the owner of the Rangers as well. I mean, I, I just think with the Knicks, I mean, superstar players, man, you, you, they all they all love to come here and put up 70 points on us. They all love that. You know, you get 18,000 fans. There's no better. Let me tell you something. They could talk about fans in Kansas City, all the rabid fans, the Chief fans, and his fans are all loyal. There's no loyal, more, more loyal fan than a New York Knicks fan. Because let me tell you something, they're there 18,000 strong. And if the Knicks could be on a 12-game losing streak. But if the Lakers come into town and the Knicks are winning, there's 18,000 people standing up chanting defense with three minutes left. And that place is rocking with the Knicks. Rocking. It is right. rocking. I agree. So, I agree. You know, Right, let's That's not get off base over here. We're going to yeah, do a couple we'll, of the we'll, other. We'll do our uh, format that we did last week, and we'll we'll go through the whole entire NFL slate. I, th- I think I want to start off actually with that Seahawk uh, Patriot game, which was I, I don't know if you've seen that whole game. That was oh, a, it was a thriller. Game. It was a uh, thriller. Seahawk by Super Bowl pick Russell Wilson. I tell you know, you. I just I I just again, and I said this when when you picked the Seahawks as your Super Bowl team. I my the only reason why I gave you a little backlash for it was because of that defense. I thought that defense was incredibly suspect and they did give up 30 points, but I mean if there's anybody who's good enough to just overcome any sort of shortcomings from the rest of the team, it's Russell Wilson. I yeah. mean, he's done it without a running game. He's done it without receivers. Now he's doing it with no defense. He just continues to just amaze Well, they're putting people. the ball in his hands, which I was telling the beginning of the year, maybe they're going to let him throw the ball more this year. Right. And they did. Right, and through the first two games, he's only got two more incomplete passes than he does touchdowns. He's got 11 incompletions. He's got nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns. I mean, he's been absolutely terrific. And, uh, you know, Cam Newton has been very good, too. And, you know, they're they're one yard away from winning that game, the Patriots. You know, he gets stopped on the the two-yard line with four seconds left, the last play of the game. But that was a terrific game. Uh, You know, it's – I, I still like that Seahawk team to go to the Super Bowl. I think their defense could be good enough. I don't think they're championship defense, but at the same time, I think they're good enough to get to a Super Bowl still because I still don't see I don't see a team in the NFC right now that that could be dominating, especially defensively. I just don't see it. But um yeah, so that that was a heck of a game. And then 
to go to that Falcon Cowboy game, man, let me tell you something. I, I, the special team coach of the Falcons should be fired. Let me tell you something, okay? And I know I brought this up week one about how many head coaching gaffes there were. And there were a couple more. And, and it's the, by oh, the I'm way, gonna, not, I'm going to get it to one. Well, There's not to, not to get, get off topic, but to, just to go back to the Seahawks game real quick. The third and one at the end of the game, Seahawks are trying to run out the clock. And Pete Carroll throws – he tells him throw a deep pass on third and one. It falls incomplete. And then you give the Patriots back with two minutes left and a timeout. On third and one – like, did he not learn by losing the Super Bowl? Like, when you only need a yard, there's no reason to try to throw the ball? Well, like, Pete just, Carroll just has a track record. You, you know, you could forgive him for that. You could forgive him for that. But, you know, at that fucking Cowboy game. Another another gaffe. Those, those – they were on that onside kick at the end of the game. There are five – different Falcons. Now I get yeah. if it's one player. I get if it's one player who might have not known the rule. It's unacceptable because it led to a loss, but teachable mistake, whatever. Take it with a grain of salt. But there's five separate Falcons that are backing away from that ball as it's rolling, which tells me that they were directed by a coach to make sure they let that onside kick go 10 yards. And to I, me, that's a fireable understand. offense. That is a fireable offense. I don't understand. It's the basic fundamentals of your special teams on an onside kick. You can jump on. You can jump on the ball without any ramifications of it if it's if it's before the ten yards. I mean, they were just watching that ball spin and spin and spin. And I'm saying, what the hell are they doing? They just watching it. It was it was unreal. But at the same time, the Falcons did another choke job. It's unreal how many chokes this that this team has. It really, really is. It's amazing. They were in full control of that game, and they let the Cowboys get right back in it, and they beat them 40 to 39 in that game. So you said it best, Rob. The only thing that Atlanta is good for is fantasy football points. Yeah, that's fantasy. It. F- that's it. That's all they're good for. That's all they're good for. They'll rack up. Fan- and meanwhile, Julio Jones in that game had four fantasy points. So I mean, you know, yeah, but Julio- yeah, Calvin, Calvin Ridley's been the top point getter in, yeah, in, in Rid- all the league so far. Matt Ryan, Ridley and Matt Ryan. Ryan. It's, it's I mean, that's, that's all. That's all they're good for. They just continuously but, choke, and every single year it feels like they have one of the top five most talented teams on paper. And I know how much you love that, Rob, on paper. But yeah. they always have a super talented roster, and they just choke all the time. You have to wonder if Dan Quinn might be the first coach on the chopping block this season. Well, listen, he should have been probably fired after last year, but they, they kept him around. But, you know, it, Tom Brady got his first win against Carolina, which, you know, everybody figured he'd get that win. Carolina suffered a, another major injury, you know, another another superstar player with Christian McCaffrey going down. He'd probably and be I- out for the Four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, which and is another big blow to my fantasy team. Yeah, a lot of fantasy teams. Think about think about the top three players that might have been picked this year was McCaffrey, Barkley, and Michael Thomas, and the rollout. Honestly, I've, I have two. I only have two teams this year. I was in four leagues last year. I'm only in two this year. But in the span of about six days, I lost Michael Thomas, Le'Veon Bell, Christian McCaffrey, and Raheem Mostert. Yeah, and there's going to be more. You know, there's going to be more, it seems like. And, it's, you know, I, I know people are talking, oh, there was no, there was no training. There was no uh, true training camps. There was no preseason games. These are blown knees that are happening. Yeah, and that doesn't that, have anything to do with that. What, what happens, you know, the crazy thing, Andrew, it's happening to all the big-name players. Yeah. You know, it's not happening to, to the, you know, to the, to the, you know, 43rd guy on the roster. It's happening to all the big name players. Look at all the big name players that have suffered major injuries. Major and in one injuries. Week, and in one week. In, in one, one week. week. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's unbelievable. It wow. is unreal. 
So Brady got injuries. his Brady got his first win there in in that game. And listen, that game was you know unassuming. It was no big deal. The game I really am chomping at the bit now is this Chief Charger Charger game. And if any coach should have been fired after that game, it should have been Anthony Lynn because first of all, two things because of the fact that he he played that game uh, not to lose. And secondly, his moronic statements after that game. And I'm talking moronic. He's got he, – they go into overtime. They, they were basically holding the lead in that game for the most part until Mahomes came back. And you knew he probably would. But, you know, he, they go into overtime. And now, it's, you know, it's a 10-minute overtime, obviously. He gets the ball back. They get the ball. They get the ball first. They have fourth and one in their own 39. Fourth and one in their own 39. And you punt. You are punting the ball basically to give the ball back to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, where all they would need was a field goal where you have the best kicker in the game. You punted. You never punt and give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes in that situation, ever. You probably don't do it to anybody. I wouldn't do it for Sam Donald. I'm I'm you so glad I'm so glad you brought this up. I'm so glad you brought this up because I disagree with you. Oh. And I had an argument oh. with my friend for about a half hour oh. on Sunday about this. Well, you're gonna have an about, argument about, with your other friend about him about him not going about him not going for it. So how can you justify that? If in in my opinion, Herbert played decently well. I mean, nothing special. He threw the ball around the field. He he looked good considering the fact that he didn't find out he was starting until you know five minutes before kick kickoff because the Chargers doctor accidentally punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung while giving him a cortisone shot for a broken rib, which that's a conversation for another day because that's just utterly ridiculous. But he played decently well, right? The Chargers' defense played really well, held Pat Mahomes in check for the whole entire first half. Mahomes started coming alive a little bit in the second half, but you could tell – the Chargers had the Chiefs' offense out of sorts. They were not scoring at will like they do on everybody else. The whole entire reason you were in that game was because of your defense. So in that moment, I think that Anthony Lynn has more trust in his defense than he does the offense. So he's going to punt it to the, to the Chiefs and give the better part of his team a chance to win that game. If you go for it on fourth and one and you don't get it, essentially, you know, they kicked a 53-yard field goal, which was initially a 58-yard field goal. And it was a five-yard penalty that moved it up to 53. But even for 58, Butker nailed it. So you figure you go for it on the 39-yard line. You don't get it. The Chiefs essentially only have to gain five yards, and then the game is over with a field goal, and that's it. I'm, I'm with punting the ball, pinning the Chiefs at their own 20, and having them try to go win the game by gaining 40 to 50 yards God, instead of I, just I, five. I can't disagree. And the Chargers' defense is the reason why they were in that game. It's the reason why the Chargers are going to oh, be no, a competitive no, no. team this did year. You, did you see? Did you see where Bosa was in, in that fourth quarter? Most of the time, he was on the sidelines, exhausted, exhausted. He wasn't even in the game and that last drive where the Chiefs tied it up. He wasn't even in the game. He was sucking wind on the sidelines. Wasn't that even in the is game. Not a, that defense is not a one-man show, though. They got a it bunch does, of guys. It doesn't matter. It's, I don't care. I don't care how how much you how how, much, how well your defense played in that game. You do not, and I mean you do not give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes and that Chief offense on fourth and one on your own 39-yard line in overtime. You just do not with a short field because you give him the ball back on the 20-yard line. He doesn't have to go very far. 
And he's got, and you know, he's it's Patrick Mahomes. The superstar players will find a way to win the game if you give him that opening. And the Chargers gave him that opening. Period. Period. But if they go, if they go for it and don't get it, the game is over. The game is over. If you can't play, if you can't play, you got to go to win the game, Andrew. You go to win the game. But you they don't get play that. But even lose. if they even if they get that one yard, there's no guarantee that they go oh, down the score. They still got to go another what, seventy yards down the field to win the game, what, or sixty yards the down the field to win the game. What's the better chance of you winning that game with the ball in your hands or the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands? Honestly, that offense is not that good. I, the defense Who's is offense? the better. The Chargers' offense is not they that good. The yard. defense they is the better yard. part of their game. They Listen, needed one yard. If you can't get one yard on fourth and one, you got to get one yard. That's all they're asking to. They're asking well, you to well, get well, one well, yard to go I, win the game. I, you, it's like you've never seen an offense not get a fourth and one before. Oh, I understand. But you're playing the game not to win the game then at that point. You're playing it not to win the game, period. Yeah, I mean, you are in the, the low minority on that opinion. It's I, your opinion. I, I, I know, I, know I am. I know there's a lot of people that are ripping Lynn. I'm not, I'm oh. not, that's why I'm not, I'm not telling you How that could you're you not. I'm not telling you that you're wrong because this is this is a thing too because I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think if, it's if just you're a, a Steelers fan a and you're watching that game and you see Mike Tomlin make that same move, you're gonna say, "Oh, it's a good move." There's no way. No, I'm there not gonna say no, no. I'm not gonna say it's a good move because again, there's different circumstances. Because again, it, it you have it, it's it's a lot different because you have a, a a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and an offense that's capable of putting up 30 points. But also, if he did punt it. I would certainly understand it because the Steelers have a top three defense in the league. So I would trust them in getting a stop. The Chargers have a top five defense in the league who did a pretty good job at containing Mahomes. Look, I know you're not going to shut down Mahomes. It's only a matter of time before he starts getting his heels underneath. Do the Chiefs have the 85 Bears on the other side of the ball that they couldn't get one yard on them? I'm not saying that they couldn't have gotten the one yard, but on the chance that they didn't get the one yard, the game is over, boom, right there, and your defense didn't even get a chance. And the if, defense if the is defense, the better part the of your defense. If the defense is that good, then they make it, then they stop them. Then, if that's the case, but the, the bottom line is, you go to play the win the game. You do not play not to lose, and that's how Anthony Lynn played that on fourth and one on your own 39. When you're in overtime, you have got to go get that, try and get that one yard. Because you know what? If you fail, then fine. You fail trying to win the game. You didn't, you know. Now you've 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 actually lost that game because everything that was going to happen happened. Period. It happened. You were not stopping. You're not going to stop Patrick Mahomes when you left the door open for him like that. It's not going to happen with superstar players. It's very, very rare, Andrew. Very rare. Very rare. I, I, I was shocked. And then for him to come out after the game and say, well, Tyrod Taylor's still our quarterback, he See, gives that's us a, the that's best. A conver- that's a different conversation because I thought that that was incredibly idiotic. Well, I yeah. Well, I want really to get up this subject. You made your point. I made mine. So there's no sense in and keep on going on about it. But, you know, to come out and say that, I, all right, listen. You don't want to name Justin Herbert your starter for the following week? Okay, no problem. Just say, hey, listen, Justin played a great game. I'm going to evaluate things. i got to look at some film, and we'll discuss things during the week. You don't come out and say Tyrod Taylor is still our starting quarterback because he gives us the best chance to win. Here's the bottom line with Tyrod Taylor. He's a, he's a backup quarterback. He's a good guy to have on your roster, but that's about it. Justin Herbert proved more than enough on that Sunday that he, that he can he – can, he could probably be the better quarterback that the Chargers need for that team. There's no doubt. A kid threw for over 300 yards. He was mobile. He was accurate. He was tough. I thought that kid played a terrific game under the circumstances. You, you drafted him number one 
period. That guy needs to be a quarterback. Get him in the game and start him. Now he's going to start again this week, and it's only because I guess Taylor isn't ready to play because of the punctured lung. But, you know, you don't come out, you know, the bottom line, you just don't come out and make an idiotic statement like that. Like all of a sudden you're sticking to your guns and Tyrod Taylor's our guy, like like Tyrod Taylor's Trevor Lawrence. I mean, <laughs> come on, yeah, he's no, a journeyman I, quarterback. That's an I, idiotic but, hey, statement. Listen, listen, I guess I guess that probably gives you some insight into why he made the decision he did at the end of the game, because if he still thinks that now, Tyrod Taylor gives him the best chance to win, then I, that's the that's the amount of faith he has yeah, in that that's offense. A, all, you gotta, all, you gotta do is, all you gotta do is hand the ball off to Joshua Kelly. You have an above average offensive line. That kid Joshua Kelly shows he can run the ball. You just give the ball to Joshua Kelly and you don't have to make Justin Herbert make any play. The only play Herbert has to do is turn around and hand the ball to Joshua Kelly. That's all you need him to do. You're not looking him to make a, you know, it, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't like it was fourth and nine. It was fourth and one. That's all it was, fourth and one. That's it. You rely on your offensive line to, to get a push and to hand the ball to Joshua Kelly, and that's it. That's the bottom line. You're not asking J- uh, Justin Herbert to make a great play here. If it's fourth and nine, fourth and eight, fourth and six, I understand. Then you could punt. I have no problem. Fourth and one? Geez, no, you got to go for that. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that has any bearing on it. But so anyway, getting off the charges over here. I mean, this Kyler Murray, boy, how good does he look? He looks tremendous. He looks tremendous. Playing pitch and catch with DeAndre Hopkins again and killing the defense with his legs. Best of both worlds. Man, that kid looks so good. And you know what? I get to give – look, it's only two games, and I know you kind of felt the same way I did. But, you know, Josh Allen right now looks terrific. But – but – I'm going to say just proceed with caution here. You know, he, he looks very good right now, but it's two games. To me, Josh Allen has to has to elevate his game in the big games against the better defenses, especially if they make the playoffs. That's what I want to see Josh Allen do. That's when I want to see him elevate his game. Give him props. His first two weeks, he threw for 300 yards, and then he threw for 400 yards after that. The kid's a beast when he's out of the pocket. And, and I mean, he manhandled a couple of guys. I tell you, a couple of Dolphin uh, defenders, man, when he got out of that pocket, he's a big kid. And, he, listen, he's a lot of fun to watch. But, again, I need to see more of him before I say, okay, I was wrong about him. But I still think he's a, he's a good quarterback, and I still think that he's got a lot more to his game and what he's shown us already, I, I really do. I still think he's got a lot more to his game. Um, but I need to see it in the biggest spots against the better defenses. He went against the Jets, and he went against the Dolphins so far. So I need to see what's going to happen. And this week they play uh, – who do they got? They got the Vikings this week. Oh, no, they got, they got the, Rams the Rams this week. They, they got they, the Rams this week. The next four games are against teams yeah. that are 2-0 and right now. I know Oakland doesn't have a doesn't have a great defense, but, but they right, are 2-0 team. team without, but then they got, without a great defense. They got the Titans and the Chiefs after that. So these next four weeks will been uh, are, are going to be telling. I know the Rams are, are hitting their strength offensively and they look like the Rams from two years ago as opposed to last year in these first two weeks but let's talk about their defense too their defense held Dak and the, and the Cowboys offense to under to 20 points in week one or under 20 points they held the Eagles who look like they're a mess to under 20 points last week so they're clicking on all cylinders so this is going to be a good test for Josh Allen this week and these next couple of weeks coming up you know the schedule doesn't do any favors they got a pretty tough schedule if you look well, at the you bill. know I think I think the, the one defense he's going to play against it and, and I'll tell you the truth. I'll be honest with you. I, I I don't think it's much of a test for Josh Allen because the Titan defense is in the same defense because Jacksonville put up 30 points on him. You know, so the Titans, again, as as we alluded to, uh, you know, in the NFL preview show we did, 
couple of weeks ago, you know, they lost a lot of good defensive players on that defense. And really, they, you know, they spent most of their money on offense having to re-sign Tannehill and, and Derrick Henry. So they, they got rid of a lot of their better defenders. And the Chiefs defense, I think, is a good defense. I don't think it's a great defense by any means. They have some injuries over there. So I don't think it's a big test for them. The Raiders obviously don't have a great defense. I'm actually going through the schedule to see when the, when the Bills actually play. Uh, uh, then they, week seven, they got the Jets again. I mean, geez, they, they got some – you know what? Here's the test. Week eight against the Patriots. There you go. And by the way, what's uh, 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 um, McDermott is is 0-6 against Belichick. They have the uh, they have the Steelers week 14 as well. Yeah, but week eight is their first real true test against the defense. And I tell you the truth, the Patriot defense was a little exposed this week. I thought Andrew with Russell Wilson there. I thought they were a little exposed on the back yeah. end. Yeah, you know, especially in the second. I mean, you know, that's that you got to. That's why you have to watch the game because if you look at the box score, you see that they had a pick six on Russell Wilson. If you watch the game, you would see it was a ball that just right in Greg Olson's hands. He dropped it. It tipped up in the air, and it was an easy pick six. But that defense was exposed for the whole night against Russell Wilson. He was just. I mean, he's just. He's but look incredible. at the uh, look at the two big receivers, wide receivers that were traded in the off season here: Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins. How are they finding their new homes? Yeah, and and how are their teams that traded them away? How Both are they doing? Both I mean, Kirk, two and, Kirk Cousins and yeah. the Vikings look oh. horrendous, horrendous, oh yeah. and the Houston Texans don't look much better. Now, granted, no. they had to face the Ravens and Chiefs first two weeks of the season, but none of those receivers are stepping no. up as a number one. Will Fuller, at number one, he didn't catch a single pass. He didn't have week. a target. He didn't even have it. He wasn't even targeted. He had zero targets in that game. Yeah. Zero. Mm-hmm. He had zero targets in that game. You know, said, yeah, listen, you weren't expecting much, but, uh, you know, you give it to Sean Watson. We, we went back. I went back on this last week. We'll go back to it again. You gave that guy $40 million, $160 million. He's getting $40 million a year. He better be, you know, he's got to be better than what he's been. I don't care what defense you're playing, Andrew. You're making $40 million a year. I'm sorry. You have to be the best player in your team every single week. That's just the way it is. Especially if you're the quarterback, I'm I'm sorry. So, I agree. you know, week three, you know, we start off with the uh, with a Dolphin Jaguar Thursday night game, and I tell you, these Jaguars have been competitive with Minshew there. So it's going to be interesting because their offense is a lot better. They got rid of Fournette, undrafted free agent, and James Robinson, who you know is 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 uh is in fantasy is the you know was the pickup of of the of the year so far last year uh, last week for a lot of a lot of people dolphins again I, I just wish they'd go to Tua andrew there's really nothing going on with them right now they're not doing much offensively you know i think you got the best you can out of fitzpatrick last year he's that type of guy that he'll you know he, even in his in his in his uh in his um in his younger years fitzpatrick he was always like that one good year one bad year as much as one good game one bad game just get to two already get to him come on let the kid play this would have been the perfect coming out party for Tua. Tonight, uh, Thursday night, you know that against the Jaguars, and and a game against a team that's not that good that you can compete against. I think this this game is going to end up being, I mean it, the my only trepidation is because it's a Thursday night game on a short week. A lot of times you see sloppy football being played, but if these two teams were playing on Sunday. I could expect 80 points to be scored in this game because Fitzpatrick and Minshew are just going to drop back and sling it 40 times a piece. Oh, that's and they've fine. Had that's all fine. Doing it. 
They've That's had success okay. doing it these first two weeks. That's okay. That's all right. If it's a little slow, you know, I'll tell you, last week was a terrific game with the Browns and, and the and the Bengals. It was fun to watch, I thought. Yes. You know, I didn't think it was that sloppy, and I think this is a perfect time. And I, I tell you the truth, I, I happen to think that if Fitzpatrick, again, I'll go back to saying what I've said earlier, that, you know, if he if he gets off to a bad start, you just might see two or in this game maybe. And, and they should. They should give that kid a shot. Give him a shot right now. You know, there's not a lot of great games on the board over here that I could look at and say, all right, you know, the Cowboys-Seahawks game, Packers-Saints, and I tell you, Andrew, I don't know if you watched that game Monday night, but Drew Brees looks – he looks he looks like he's 50, not even 40. He looks lost. He looks lost. And, you know, listen, Oof. we you you said it to Deshaun Watson. It's, it's easy to play pitch and catch with DeAndre Hopkins. I know Drew Brees is one of the best quarterbacks of this generation, but it's very easy to play pitch and catch with Michael Thomas. Not having yeah. him there, their number one receiver yeah. was Emmanuel Sanders. He caught yeah. one pass all night. Traquan yeah. Smith, I think, was the only wide receiver that had a lot of volume, and I think he had yeah. four catches. I mean, it was just it was just Kamara and you know gadget plays with Taysom Hill. That offense looks lost, and they made a, a very – I'm not even going to say pedestrian. They made an awful Raiders defense look good on Monday night. They really did. I mean, you're talking about a Raiders defense who just gave 30, gave up 30 points to the Carolina Panthers, who look awful, uh, in Week One, and then you, they kind of shut the Saints down on Monday night. And uh, you know, Breeze is really, for the time, I guess, is catching up to him and not having Michael Thomas yeah. there. Although we might, you know, they might see Thomas this week. They're saying he's progressing better than they expected. I so can't see we'll it, see, man. I, just, I, I think, I think you have to keep him out for at least a few more weeks. Yeah, I mean, high ankle sprain. You're talking at least two to three, at least two to three weeks. And you know what? You'll never recover. Six months to recover on a high ankle sprain like well, that. What did I say to you play. last week with an ankle sprain? You can't replicate game action. No. You don't know exactly whether or not that ankle right. is going to hold up until you right. get in the game and start making cuts. You know, you can't replicate no that in practice to test it out. So, so it's Cowboys, only a game. Cowboys Seahawks would be a good game. I'm looking. Well, the Chiefs Ravens is that's the on top Monday, game on the board that'll, right that'll now. The Monday night game. I think, I'm looking. I think Rams Rams Bills is going to be a good game at one o'clock. Rams uh, should be good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could look at that. I probably have three other games in front of, and that's Cowboys, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and Chiefs, Ravens. I think those three games right there are the top three on the board. I could see the Rams and Bills because you know what? You have the Rams high-powered offense. Bills have a very good defense. You're going to look at Josh Allen. Actually, they're throwing a the ball a lot more now. Uh, the Bills. So you know, using Stephon Diggs, using John Brown complimenting the running of, uh, you know, Zach Moss, the rookie, and, and well, Singletary's been getting some play. But, you know, yeah, that, that should be a good game as well. So um, so, so are, you selling, are you saying that the Browns and the Washington football team doesn't pique your interest and the Bengals and the Eagles doesn't pique your interest either? Well, the Browns always do because of their dysfunction. That's the reason why I, I don't mind watching the Browns sometimes because you never know what's going to happen <laughs> on that team. But I tell you what, you know, they, 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 I did tell you, what did I, how did I leave off the, well, I didn't leave it off, but I said, I'd be shocked if the Browns didn't score at least 30 on Thursday night last week when I said that. And they scored 30 against the, uh, against the Bengals. And you know what? Kareem Hunt looked terrific. The one, two punch of Hunt and Chubb were terrific, actually. And, and, you know, Beckham, he had a good first half after that. He went quiet. But, uh, you know, with Hunt and, and Chubb, that's a, that's a, that's one of the better one, two punches in the league. Uh, you know, Washington got exposed, obviously, by the Cardinals after having that big win against the Eagles. But I tell you what, the Eagles have some problems here, Andrew, because I tell you, Carson Wentz does not look good at all. Albeit, you know, he's missing some of his his receivers. Uh, you know, really, who, he's missing Alshon Jeffrey. But, uh, you know, maybe not having the receiver play. I mean, he's got the Sean Jackson. You drafted Riga. You know, you got Ertz and Goddard. 
Miles Sanders came back, but the Eagles, Carson, Carson Wentz does not look good at all. Nah, he's looked awful. He really has. He's looked terrible. Two more interceptions on Sunday. Doug Peterson even came out in his postgame presser, and he said, these are throws that Carson normally makes, and he's not yeah. making them. Yeah. He came right out and said it. The Steelers looked good last week, although they screwed me on my top pick. But I was, know, I was, I was going to bring that up, that I told you that that oh. corporation pick that you made, minus six oh. and a half or minus seven, was it six and a half or seven? It was seven. Seven. Yeah, I knew that that was a bad pick. It was looking good. The kings of, of not covering the spread. But how do you let Jeff Driscoll come back in this game? How do you get them back into this game with Jeff freaking Driscoll? Listen, I, mean, I, watched, every, I watched every second Sutton of that game. Out. I, I watched every second of that I, game. I watched, though, I watched that whole game. That, uh, there were a lot of, lot of really questionable calls in the secondary in that second half. It seemed like every single time the Broncos had a third and long, there was a flag in the secondary that gave them, gave them a first down. The oh. Steelers had a little bit of trouble stopping Melvin Gordon um, on Sunday. Usually they're, they're really stout in stopping the run. They did give up a couple of chunk plays to Melvin Gordon. Um you know, a bad, just bad miscommunication in the secondary that left Noah Fant wide open in the end zone for a touchdown. Then they proceed to run the same play, going for a two-point conversion. He's wide open again. Um, so I think the Steelers' defense played good. There were just, there were, there were a couple of plays. There were four or five plays where there were just breakdowns in communication or guys not shooting the proper gaps, and it led to big plays. But you know, I, Jeff Driscoll, it's Jeff Driscoll. So I need to hope that the Broncos had to compete, and I think went out the window without Drew Locke being there. Um, you know, he was, he was knocked out at the, I think it was the second drive of the game. I think he was knocked out. So you probably figured once Drew Locke gets knocked out of that game, you're probably thinking Steelers minus seven is a lock. And they're just the Kings of, of letting teams back in the game. And there was some help from the officials, but I told you, I know my Steelers, I know my Steelers so well. And I knew that there was no chance in hell, even when they were upset, I think they were up 17 to three. I knew that they weren't going to cover that minus seven. There was never a doubt in my mind. Oh, my God. It was sickening. I was so pissed. And they almost did, actually, because Connor broke one towards the end of the game. And he could have scored. Have, oh, he could have scored. I know. <laughs> he just was uh, – I don't – oh, my God. I was I sick. And then I said, maybe I have enough time that, to kick a field goal. I said that to my parents. As soon as Connor went down, I said, you know, I said, that just screwed Rob royally. I said, because oh. he had the minus seven. I said, Connor could have scored, but he cut back to the middle of the field and took a hit. So that he could stay in bounds and they can keep the ball and just run out the clock. But oh, God, unreal. I, I, I'll tell you this much. I usually don't like the Steelers against the spread. I really don't. But this week, the spread is up to four now on the game with the Texans. It was yeah. at three yesterday. I think that they can easily cover a field goal against the Texans without a doubt. At home, one o'clock, the defense and offense are both looking pretty good. A couple of games under their belt to shake the rust off. I think that if there's ever a game that they can cover, I think this weekend is probably the game. So maybe you should double down and take them again this weekend. I don't know. Because if I do and they don't cover again, I'm going to come and kill you. <laughs> well, what did everyone else pick? Did everyone else's picks hit? It was We went 4-4 four and four this week. Okay. Okay. We so what games, are, what games are catching your eye so far this weekend? I tell you, I, I, I've looked. It's a tough week this week, man. I, you know, nothing has caught my eye right away. Um, you know, something tells me that the Patriots are going to put a licking on the Raiders. Uh, you know, I, and we go back to the Tuck Rule Bowl. Gruden's first appearance back in New England since that game. Since yeah, the these, Tuck Rule. These, these are raw. And I'll tell you, I'm, really I'm a, I'd be afraid to take them. Because only because I'm I'm a diehard fan, but 
I, I really like the Giants this week getting four. I, I, I do, but I, I listen, it's, I don't need double the misery. I, I don't need double the misery. I, I don't need to know that I lost my corporation bet and the Giants lost the game at the same time. It's double the aggravation. I don't need I, that crap in my I life. I do like Green Bay giving three and a half to the Saints. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that, but, I, you know, after the way the game, did you see what Sean Payton did after that game? They were supposed to catch a plane to go back to New Orleans, and what he did was he made them stay overnight, had them up early the next morning to watch game film, and then delayed the flight back. Really? Because he was that pissed off about what happened. And all of that, on top of that, hit me. well, not only him, but Gruden also, they both got fined for not wearing a face mask. $100,000 fine. But yeah, nothing yeah, jumps, saw, saw nothing jumps out at me. I mean, the Cowboys getting five from the Seahawks probably isn't so bad. I don't think that's that bad. I don't think that's so bad. You know, the Buccaneers getting six and given six and a half on the road in Denver. I, even with Brady, I don't know. I, I just don't trust that. I do like the Lions a little bit getting a six from the Cardinals because I think that's going to be a high-scoring game. And, and I think that's one of those 35-34 games, <laughs> Lions and Cardinals. That's going to be a high-scoring affair, I think. You got Tennessee Every, only giving two and a half to Minnesota. Yeah, it's up to three now. Minnesota is just terrible. I mean, you know, again, Tennessee's going on the road to Minnesota. Not that, again, not that there's any fans, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, Tennessee's look pretty decent. They look Tannehill looks terrific now. So yeah, there's a there's a couple at first glance that look good, but I don't think there's really any surefire pick. They're they're all kind of toss ups, and not only with the spread, I think just straight up, like straight up picking a winner is a toss up in a lot of these games. All right, you know, I really don't want to do this, but I guess we got to get into the baseball. And the Yankees clinched the playoff spot, so we don't have to say much about the Yankees because. They're going to be going into the playoffs, and as the Yankees do, they make the playoffs every freaking year. It's annoying already. You know, of course they're going to make the playoffs, and, you know, the whole thing with the Yankees is what what their, what are their bats going to do in, in the playoffs? We'll talk about that more, when, you know, when they start the playoffs uh, next week, I think they're starting. They're going to go into a bubble, which a lot of players aren't happy about. You know what, though? Shut up. They're trying to protect you guys. Just go into the bubble. Shut up. Play the games. NBA did it. The NHL did it. They had much success with it. So just shut up and play the games in a bubble. I mean, come on. But, you know, the Yankees' problems, you know, have, have been their bats in the past playoff games over the last few years. You know, they can't uh, slug their way to victories. And, you know, you're going to be facing better pitching, obviously. But, you know, without those days off, though, you know, you, you're not going to have that guy that, you know, your top ace, your top two starters pitching those two or three games in the series. So it might make a difference. And the Yankees really don't have much pitching themselves after Garrett Cole. But, you know, Tanaka obviously has some good history in the playoffs himself, so we'll see what happens. But reluctantly, I guess I have to get into the Mets because let me tell you something. Something happened the other night that really irked me, Andrew. I don't know how you felt about it. There's things that happen every night with this team. Yeah, I know. Me, so but, but, but you know what? Is it? Of course, Jacob DeGrom has his start. Not only is it irking that the poor guy goes seven innings, 14 strikeouts, pitches a gem, loses two to one, but Michael Conforto sits at the game with hamstring tightness. I mean, you know, you want to you want to try and make big money in free agency? Let me tell you something. If I'm the Mets, goodbye. After that, after what he did there, and they still had a shot to make the playoffs, although I think it's a phony playoffs, and, and not that the Mets would be going anywhere, but in a season where you're playing 60 games and just about every team makes the playoffs, the Mets will not be making the playoffs. That, to me, in itself is an embarrassment. But how are you sitting out with hamstring tightness? You're not injured. You're just hurt a little bit. That's all you are. It's hamstring tightness. 
you know, you want to have well, you want to have aspirations of making big money. You got to play in these games. You want to you want to rip Michael Conforto. I think you have to rip the team first because I think you're forgetting a key element is that the lineup came out. Conforto was not in it. They asked Rojas about it, and Rojas said that they were just giving Conforto a day off, which was just if that was the case, would have been even worse. You're giving a guy a day off when you only got six games left? A day well, unless off? They were, unless they were trying to protect him for because they probably felt like, what's he doing? He has hamstring tightness because I heard hamstring tightness from everything that was reported. It was reported on the radio. It was reported on SNY. He had a hamstring tightness. He needed yeah, because to sit the, out. Because the media uh, knew better that there was no way that they were just giving this guy a routine day off with six games left in the season when they're when they're two and a half games out of a wild card trying to make a last second push to the playoffs. There was no way they were keeping their best player out of the lineup for a routine day off. So the Mets reporters kept hounding them and hounding them. And then finally, about an hour before the game, they came out and said it was hamstring tightness and he was out of the lineup. Um he should but, be. I mean, Michael he wasn't, Conforto, he wasn't available. He should be ashamed of himself. Either. He wasn't know, available off the bench either. Well, you know so what? Because I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the truth. If you're not going to start the game, then I, I, I'd be damned if I had him pinch hit. Because if you can pinch hit, then you could play that game. I'm sorry, you could play that game. And I'm sorry, you have hamstring tightness. I'm probably a lot of guys have hamstring tightness. Play the goddamn game and cut the crap. Hamstring tightness is a joke. Come on, please. Hamstring tightness. I'll tell you the truth. You're two and a half games out, okay? So you're trying to make the playoffs. You have a slim chance of even making the playoffs. So even if you happen to happen to pull your hamstring, what's the difference anyway? You you got all all the next six months to recover. Well, you I would the next I, I would six months I, to recover. I, I I disagree only because I don't necessarily know if it was his call because a lot of times you know you see the Yankees they they hold Glaber Torres out of the lineup they hold Aaron Judge out of the lineup and a lot of times these guys want to play. But the Yankees are holding these guys out for precautionary reasons because they treat these players with kid gloves. So maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't his call. Look, maybe it wasn't the organization that's holding out. If I'm Michael Conforto, I'm saying I'm running onto the field and saying, "Drag me off, drag me off. We need this game. Jacob Degrom's pitching tonight. Drag me off this field. That's it. You want to find me? Find me. I'm coming to play this game. That's how I handle it. I'm sorry. I I can't give him a pass on that. And I understand your point. I get it. You, you, and maybe you're right. You know, you probably are, are maybe right. But you know what? If I'm the player, I'm doing everything I can in my power to make sure I'm in that lineup. And I'm telling them I'm fine. I'm in no, this I, game. I'm fine. I, I don't that. even tell them I have hamstring tightness. In fact, I don't even mention it. I don't even mention it. I don't even mention it. I'm playing a game. I don't care. I'm playing a game. I'm playing a game. Listen, I, I certainly get that, too. I get that. And if it is Conforto, and, and that's that's an extremely bad look. But I mean, we knew that this team is not going to make the playoffs, and, and you know, I still watch them because, like I, you know, I always say baseball is just it has a special place in my heart. I love this team, so I just continue to watch them. But I've I've known for a couple weeks now that they weren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, they started, you know, it's every single time they take a couple steps forward, they take three steps forward, they take five steps backwards. You know, they take they have yet in this shortened season, they have yet to put together a week of good baseball. They had one week of good baseball where they beat Miami Marlins three games in a row. And that week was cut short because of a positive COVID test. And then they came back and the wheels fell off again. So throughout this whole entire season, they could not put one week of good baseball together, which with the way the national league is with teams, there's going to be teams that make the playoffs that are 500. There might even be a wild card team or two that are under 500 and they're not going to make it because they couldn't even put together a week of good baseball. You put together one week of base, one good week of baseball and they probably make it. And they were just unable to do it. 
So Conforto's in the lineup, he DH, he struck out three times. They probably should have kept him out again with hamstring tightness. <laughs> I mean, not for nothing, you do have the DH to protect you, too. You don't even have to play the field. You could have dh that game. Yeah, you Jason Shreve just uh, served up a two-run homer. It was a 4-2 game. Now it's 6-2. So. Yeah, it's, uh, listen, they got no shot. And, and that's what I'm going to lead into. You know, I, I looked at the standings today for the first time and God knows how long because it just makes me sick to even look at any of these leaderboards, any of the standings. And I'm looking at the San Francisco Giants and the Miami Marlins have better records than the Mets. And if you look at that giant roster, I tell you the truth, I go up and down the roster, I get nauseous. I look at that giant roster – what the hell do they got on our roster? You know, everybody's giving the excuse of the Mets, so it's the pitching, the pitching. Well, I don't see the Marlins or the Giants have any pitching. There's no pitching. You look at – Andrew, please look at that giant lineup. Look at the giant roster. Just look at it, please. Look at the giant roster. Well, I'm, I'm going to pull it up. Oh, my well, God. my head, I know oh my they, God. Have, uh, they have – Donovan Solano. Yeah, they got Donovan – Brandon Crawford, Donovan Solano, Mike Yashkremski. I, I mean well, – well, well, you are, I think – Listen, I'm not making excuses, but you are shortchanging Donovan Solano a little bit because I'm pretty sure he's got one of the top five batting averages in the National League. Yeah, but still, it's just a point. It's just a point. It's just okay, a so point. They, well, they got Wilma Flores, Rob. Yeah, Wilma Come on, Flores. Come on, you've yeah. forgotten about Wilma Flores. I'm looking at yeah, you. It's just a point. I, more than anything, look at their pitching staff. My God. Oh, my God. Johnny who's, Cueto, who's, Drew who's Smiley. <laughs> Kevin, they got Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman absolutely sucks in their rotation. They still have Jeff Samarja? No, Samarja is not on that team. Where is he? Huh. Didn't he go to the Cubs at one point, Samarja? He started with the Cubs. I think he started with the Cubs. And then I, thought he went, I thought he went to the Cubs after that. Who would even care? Jeff Samarja sucks, too. <laughs> probably, that's why he should probably be a Met. He is on the Giants, Samarja. Oh, he went to the Giants? I didn't even another, see his another, name there. Another the terrible roster. pitcher, though. Yeah, he sucks. Awful. And let's let's also acknowledge the fact that they have to play the 39-win Dodgers 10 times and the 34-win Padres 10 times. Yes, and they're still good 27 point. and 27. Yeah, and they're still 27 and 27 having to play those teams. And the Oakland A's and the yeah. Houston Astros. Yeah, okay. And they're 27 and 27 somehow. You know why? Because they know how to play the game the right way. Again, it comes down to fundamentals. The Mets do not know how to play fundamentals. You know, the Mets are, uh, right now, the Mets have 60 H's on their roster going into next year because there's none of them complete. You know, you, and, and it's interesting because they, they, they took a vote of, of some scouts and executives, you know, coming out of the NL East. And, you know, who would you rather have, Don, Dominic Smith and, and Pete, or Pete Alonzo? And out of 13 of them, eight of them said Dominic Smith. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. um, I, I don't I don't know where I fall. Now, ultimately, I think the Mets are going to keep both. But uh, I just I just don't know how much stock you, you can put into the season with with Dom Smith. I just love the fact that he was able to make the most out of so many limited opportunities last season. And then even this this year. If it's not for Cespedes opting out, Smith is probably in a bench role for the whole entire season again, and we never see this out of him. So he just continues to to answer whenever the bells, whenever the bell rings, he answers. Um, I, I saw that too. They said a lot of the, uh, Smith they think has a better swing. Uh, he hits the ball to all fields. He's the much better defensive first baseman, and overall, um, 
they just think that he's the better option than the feast or famine Alonzo. They basically said that Alonzo has the higher ceiling, but Smith has the lower floor, uh, the the higher floor. Uh, Alonzo said something today. Alonzo said, I heard Alonzo say something yesterday that really annoyed the shit out of me. Oh, the whole uh, exit velocity. Oh my God, Andrew, please. I, I really, I swear to God, I want the crack him right in his face. I mean, how do you make such a dumb statement like that? Are you trying to justify your 210 average by telling me that your exit velo is one of the highest in the national in the in the major leagues? Well, well here's the, here's the here's the worst Come part. On. So so for, if those of you who didn't hear it, Alonzo last night was asked about his struggles, and Alonzo pretty much said uh, he said, "Well, my struggles," and he put struggles in air quotes, and he said that his batting average on balls in play this year. Uh, is 215, which is like incredibly low for as opposed to the rest of the league. And he said he's also in the 98th percentile um, in exit velocity, which shows you that he's hitting the ball hard, but it's just going right at guys. So a lot of his, in air quotes, struggles uh, are due to a, a lot of bad luck in him just hitting the ball right at guys. I I see what he's what he's what he's essentially saying, but it's a whole lot of excuses. I mean. He's striking out at an alarming rate. I know he struck out yeah. a lot last year, but if this was a 162-game yep. season, he's on pace to strike out way more than he's – he's on pace to strike out over 200 times on a full season. Yep. Uh, also, he was talking about his exit velocity. Yeah, he's in the 98th percentile as far as average exit velocity, but his exit velocity is down a lot from last season. It's still down, so he's still struggling. So I love Pete. He always seems to say the right things. He he gets he gets it. He he. He can handle the New York media, and he's a nice kid at heart. And, you know, everything he's doing, you know, donating the cleats for the 9-11 and then the first responders stuff and all that, uh, the tunnel to tower, all that stuff. You know, he's a great kid. But sometimes I just think he talks too much. He just talks a little bit too much and and can get himself um, into a little bit of criticism because that just sounded like a whole lot of excuse-making and, and it kind of caught me by surprise. I, I wasn't a fan of what he said either. I'm on board with you. I wasn't a fan of it because he I'm has struggled. Right. I told you this a few weeks ago, and it wasn't an overreaction. Nobody on this roster is untouchable. I'm sorry. You got to trade him. You trade him because you know something? Two years now with Alonzo, and we haven't made the playoffs. And it goes back to what I said about the Grom. There's no sense in having the Grom on this roster when you can get a ton of pieces for him right now. I love Jacob the Grom, but you are going nowhere anyway with him. On this roster, I don't need to see another Cy Young. I could care less if he wins another Cy Young. It gets me nowhere. What is that? Who cares? I don't care. I want to see you in the playoffs. And if you can't make the playoffs with Jacob DeGrom, you got a lot of problems. Then just trade him because by the time you're going to get good, you're going to, you, you've already seen his better years. You're wasting some of the, some of the better years of, of a young, of a young, not that young. He's 30, 31 years old of, of a great starting pitcher. You have wasted them. They are being, Totally wasted here with Jacob DeGrom. Totally wasted. So, look, he's up for another Cy Young this year. I don't think he'll get it. I probably think you, Darvish, will probably get it this year. But at the same time, if he wins it, so what? All right, wonderful. All right, yeah, great. So what am I going to do? Next year, I'm going to watch Jacob DeGrom in game number 140 when the Mets are 12 games out of a playoff spot and watch Jacob DeGrom is pitching another great game. I mean, come on. I, I don't need to see it anymore. I just don't, and I love Jacob DeGrom, but you know something? If you can get a ton of pieces for him, then look to deal him because what's the sense of having him on the team? You're not winning anyway. You're not winning. People love him. I love him too, but you know something? You're not winning anyway, Andrew. What the hell's the difference? 
All these guys, Alonzo, Conforto, DeGrom, oh, yeah, they're all wonderful. And yet we haven't made the playoffs with them. We haven't made the playoffs. Oh, yeah, Conforto in his rookie year and, and DeGrom, uh, you know, back in 2015. I, uh, you know, 2016, we played one wild card game. That's it. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? I, you know, I, we could lose with them. We could lose without them. Yeah, but you know what? And, and, and you've brought this point up before. I mean, you, you look at last season, right? They go, it was 86 and 76. So they finished 10 games over 500. They were only two games out of a wild card. Uh, and Edwin Diaz blew nine saves, right? So the, the bullpen was a big piece by why they didn't make it last season. But also, again, starts at the top. We saw the decisions that were made, bringing in Jed Lowry, who only had seven at-bats in meaningless games at the end of last season, uh, bringing in Jerry's Familia. If you, instead of bringing in Familia, sign Adam Adovino, this team is in the playoffs. If you sign DJ LeMahieu instead of signing Jed Lowry, and those both of those moves don't have to be together, just one. If you sign Adam Adovino instead of Jerry's Familia, that team is in the playoffs. If you would have signed LeMahieu instead of Lowry, that team is in the playoffs. This season, look... It's weird, okay? I know the Marlins have a better record than the Mets, but the Marlins are, are an absolute joke of a team. Same thing with the Giants. It's just a strange season they ended up getting into the playoffs. All the guys on that team are not going anywhere, and if they played 162 next year with the same roster, I guarantee you they're not even going to sniff the playoffs. So, you know, it's not like all these teams are just better than the Mets. I mean, the Mets can't get out of their own way, but well, again, I, I just they maintain are better the belief that once Cohen comes in, this will be fixed. I do. They are I'm better than them because in, in, in a short season with expanded playoffs, the Mets still can't make the playoffs. And you've got teams like the Marlins and the Giants are probably going to go to the playoffs. To me, it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment that this has happened. I'm sorry, and I understand. The playoffs, are, you know, listen, I understand it's a weird season. I get the whole thing. But here's the bottom line. In 60 games, when you have to play every single game like it meant something, the Mets have played 55 games like it meant nothing. But, and again, I'm going to I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second. If you take the team that they trotted out there on a nightly basis this season, right, and you take two guys off the roster, those two guys being um, Rick Porcello and Michael Waka, and you replace them with Noah Syndergaard and Marcus Stroman, the team is going to make the playoffs. Doesn't matter. I'm looking at the giant and the mauling pitching staffs, and they're worse than the Mets. They're worse. Uh, 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 they're not. They're worse. You got you got you got two pitches in the Mets starting rotation that have over seven and a half ERA. Uh, I know those the rotations might be bad, but they're not expected to do much. They're not that bad. You got Steven Matz, whose ERA is in the nines. You had Waka, who coming into tonight, his ERA was seven point six. You have Porcello, who actually his He's he's been stringing together a couple of good starts as of late, and his ERA is still over five and a half. I mean that I'm kind of stuff this, is unacceptable. I'm looking at this giant roster, this pitching. I'm sorry, it, it, I'm I'm sorry. It's not that good. It's just not that good. You're gonna tell me that the Mets couldn't compete and, and have a better record than the Giants, especially in light of the fact that the the Met lineup is so much better than the Giant lineup. I mean, come on. It's just the way they play the game. And that's why, again, Louis Rojas needs to go. It's the same stupidity with this team. How many times do we say it every single podcast, Andrew? It's the same dumb mistakes, whether it be base running mistakes, cutoff mistakes, uh, uh, defensive blunders. They got too many guys that they take a round piece and they try and fit it into a square hole, Andrew, all the time. J.D. Davis is a D.H. Dominic Smith, if he's not playing first base, is a D.H., Robinson Cano is a DH. Wilson Ramos should be a DH. 
Uh, Wilson yeah. Ramos shouldn't be a DH. Wilson Ramos should be an independent ball. Well, you know what I mean. You, you know what I'm saying. I mean, coming yeah, off no, of last year, but I, I'm just saying they have too many guys that are deficient in 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 the field at this point. You need to field the team that could <laughs> that you, could that could play the ball. You want to hear something even better? So I, I'm glad that you brought that up about all the guys who should be designated hitters. So I'm reading an article in the Athletic two nights ago. Uh, Jim Bowden. He writes an article about the top 15 free agents in next year's free agent class and where their best fit would be uh, and where he thinks they're going to ultimately end up. So, like, number one, I think he had Real Muto, and he listed the Mets as a fit, the Phillies, a couple other teams. He said, ultimately, I think he's going to stay with the Phillies, whatever. He says the same thing with the starting pitchers. And then he gets to Nelson Cruz, 38-year-old Nelson Cruz, and he says, <laughs> best fit, the New York Mets, especially if the universal DH is kept. I said, what? They already have five DHs on the roster. What the hell do they need yeah, Nelson Cruz for? <laughs> that's stupidity. I hope Nelson Cruz will come here and it'll be the end of his career anyway. Yeah, he'll tear doesn't his Achilles. It, it doesn't even game. matter. Yeah, it doesn't even or, matter. Or he'll, so. he'll, be, he'll be out for two years with a, with a sore knee like Jed Lowry. I just think they, they need to just revamp this entire organization. There's too much dead wood on this roster I think they need to get rid of. You know, they look like they got a couple of pieces there with DeGrom. David Peterson looks pretty good, actually. He looks like he could be a mainstay in the rotation, albeit be a third or fourth starter. Yes, I think so, too. My I only mean, thing with Peterson is that he's a little bit erratic, but, you know, he's a he's a he's a Jason Vargas like pitcher where he's not overpowering. He's going to he's going to nibble around the zone and and. Hope to get weak contact from guys, and the guys like that are usually back end of the rotation. Those you can guys. get outs, and then I guess if you if you get Lugo and then either you bring either you bring in a Trevor Bauer, which I think would be a bad fit in New York, but all although he's a hell of a pitcher, or you bring back Stroman. I mean, look, Syndergaard probably won't be back until May or June, and he'll be on a pitch count and he'll be on a limited innings for the most part, probably for the entire season. I you know most of these guys come back well from Tommy John anyway. You think uh, that if you think that they could get a starting pitcher in a trade if they gave up Rosario? Because I think Jimenez has got to be the shortstop on this team moving forward. No, I don't think they'll get much for Rosario. I'll be honest with you. I don't think you're getting anything. First of all, he doesn't feel his position well, and secondly, he's proving nothing that he's that he's developing into any sort of a player. You don't even know well, what, what is Rosario. He is- He's hitting. He's hitting. Uh, I heard Gary Cohen say last night he's hitting 480 in his last 12 games. Um, so for a guy who's 23 years old, too many I, holes I, in his swing, I, Andrew. I, I, I know. I, I I agree with you. But has no no concept of the strike zone. Doesn't walk enough. I I, I understand, but there's a lot of guys like take a team like Tampa Bay for instance. They love getting these guys that are like forgotten about on other teams and working with them. And yeah. they turn them into something. I feel and like Tampa, for a guy like Rosario, who's 23 years old, still under team control for another three seasons, um, I, I just and and has was as highly touted as he was. I think he, I'm not going to say that he's going to bring you back a, a a haul, but I think that you could probably get some some pretty good talent in a trade. I don't think that all of his trade value is gone. Now, has it has it uh, gone down since much. last season? I believe I, I believe it has, but. I still think they could, they could probably get something for him. I, I don't think you're getting any sort of a hole. I think you're getting something back that's going to be comparable to Rosario in the way of a pitcher. I don't think you're going to get somebody's top pitching prospect by any means because I think a lot of people see what we see in Rosario. We see a flawed player, albeit he has some he has some spurts, but, again, a guy that doesn't feel this position all that well. And, uh, and unless somebody has aspirations of moving him to center field, 
and I don't even know if he could handle center field. No, and I see a guy that has a real center fielder, please go out and sign uh, Kevin Pillar in the off season. Can you get a real center fielder, please? Something just please. I know, I, you know, Marizic didn't work out for them. No. And they, what did Brody trade two guys for him? Yeah. Two, mean, two, Marizic didn't work out. Was hurt the whole time. He got hurt again. I mean, so I, I don't if know. You, if you're if you look get... around this team, who, who realistically now, obviously, Cano they're stuck with for the next three years until his contract is up, right? He's he's stuck here. Um, who else on this team do you think you 100% is 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 a part of this team's future? Because, I, I mean, I know you, you said that they could tear it down, but let's say that they don't because I don't think they are. What guys are you confident about keeping on this team moving forward? Uh, I'm confident about keeping McNeil. Uh, probably Jimenez, the way he's looked so far this year. I'm confident about keeping him. I'm actually confident about keeping Dominic Smith because he's certainly a very competent bat. And, you know, it's just too bad that they got, you know, they got that. Look, with the DH there, you could put Alonzo at DH. If you got to play Cano at second base, you play him at second base. You know, or you, you switch off between him with Smith and Alonzo. But I'm confident with keeping Dominic Smith because he shows he's he's shown he's more than a capable bat. I actually like Dominic Smith as a player now. I really, really do. Um, JD? Look, you, know, uh, you know, the problem with Davis, he's got no position to play. You look like he handled third base okay this year, but again, you he's a lot better than st- last year. Look, he, he is, but again, you got to stop, stop giving up extra outs. I mean, if you if you want to have a pitching staff and you want a guys just to go in and just, you know, you, you don't need to for these guys to be pitching four or five outs an inning here. You know, you you got to be more than capable of playing defense in this league, man. You can't be giving up extra outs. And that's the problem with J.D. Davis. Now, J.D. Davis didn't hit enough for me this year so far to really merit him to say, well, yeah, he's part of the he, he'll be part of our, all the equation. I guess if the right deal came along for J.D. Davis, I would deal him. I'd probably deal him because, again, he's got no position to play. He really doesn't. And, again, I don't need to see guys playing out of position between Smith having to play left field, J.D. Davis having to play left field. J.D. Davis isn't good enough to play uh, uh, third base. Uh, Alonzo isn't good enough to play first base. Smith should be playing first base. Cano is too slow now and doesn't have enough range to be playing second base. I mean, you know, where do we go here, Andrew? Where are we going? I don't know what's happening with Conforto. I, I have no idea, but he's a maddening type of player. Yeah, he's having a very good year this year. Don't get me wrong, but again, he's this guy that I just – I see the numbers. I see the final numbers, and I say, huh, where did he come up with that? You know, I, I, I just I, – I don't – I'll tell you the truth. If you want to get a frontline starter or, you know, a starter, maybe Conforto's a guy you deal. I don't know. Maybe he's a guy you deal. Do you get that, though, for one year? I don't know. It depends upon what a team is looking for. You know, it because depends. Because if you think about it, there's, well, there's, not, really, only, there's really uh, only a handful of teams that, that would even entertain that just because of the fact that he's represented by Boris. So that means you automatically take 23 or 24 teams out of the running to even sign him. Look, I'm not saying you're going to get a top a top starter. I'm not a one or two, but maybe a three or a four. Just somebody, you know, that's going to give you 175 innings, 200 innings. Again, Conforto is a guy that a lot of guys in this league have the same identical numbers. You know what I mean? Is Conforto a game changer? He's not a game changer. Conforto, he's not a game changer. He's just not. He's just not. He's so damn streaky. And again, 
We've said it all along. How many times have we said this? Type of guy, you see the numbers at the end, you're like, wow, 30 homers, 90 RBIs, 35 doubles, hit 280. Wow, where'd that come from? (laughs) I mean, you know, he's just not that guy. Again, but again, Andrew, we have not made the playoffs. Anybody's expendable. That's the way I look at it. We haven't made the playoffs, and we couldn't make the playoffs this year. So they're all expendable. They're all untouchable as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the one guy I could say I like a lot is McNeil. That's the one guy I like a lot. And See, probably I'm, Dominic Smith following. I'm, I'm kind of like half with what you're saying, half not with what you're saying. I agree that them not making the playoffs this year is pathetic, uh, especially when the playoffs are expanded and there's eight teams that are making it from each league. But with the weirdness of this season, I'm not making that an excuse for them not making the playoffs because they still should. However, I don't know how much stock I would put into not making the playoffs as far as it being a reason to tear a team down. I, I don't know if this season carries that much It's not. It's not that good of a team, though. That's my problem. I don't think it's that good of a team. You might feel differently. I don't think it's that good of a team. I see a lot of flaws. I just do. It's not that good of a team. And I say this 100 times over. They don't run the bases well. They don't field the ball well. They're terrible defensively. We know it. You know it. We all know it. They don't have a catcher. They, their bullpen is suspect, obviously. They don't have enough starters. I, I mean, I could go on and on with this team right now. I go on and on. Nimmo stinks. He gets on base, but I'm sorry. He, he's just not that good. He, he's okay. Nimmo's a decent player. That's all he is, a decent player. These guys are all replaceable. Conforto's replaceable. You know, I, don't, I still don't know what Alonzo is, and I told you this a few weeks ago when we were having the argument with the Chili Davis thing. I don't know what Alonzo is yet. I've seen one good year of him, and now I've seen one bad year. And, again, you could use the excuse of a shortened season. But you know what? I'm seeing Alonzo right now in a shortened season. I'm not liking what I'm seeing right now. So this is the bottom line with this team. Uh, you know, well, listen, you know, you go to the Yankees, then, you know, and the Yankees don't have – it's just – it's amazing how they do with the Yankees. It really is because the Yankees are going to have problems with their pitching staff. They're getting beat tonight. You know, that's going to be the one problem is after Garrett Cole. You know, who are they starting? I mean, obviously, again, you know, albeit all, all their guys are healthy, LeMahieu, Judge, Stanton, Voigt, Torres. I mean, you know, Urshela, you know, if Andujar's on that roster, Clint Frazier's actually hit well. And to your credit, you said you like Clint Frazier couple of months ago, and, and I wasn't big on Clint Frazier, but Clint Frazier has really, and I tell you, he's improved himself defensively as well. So he's looking like he should be he should be a part of that playoff roster and a part of that playoff lineup, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, the Yankees are going to have to hope they slug their way in, into the playoffs, uh, through the playoffs, I should say, because I just don't, you know, Tanaka got beat up tonight. Got beat up again, Tanaka now, you know. So let's see what happens with him. But with the Yankees, it's going to come down to pitching. It's going to come down to their pitching. And if they have to play the Minnesota Twins, because you know they beat the crap out of them all the time. Well, I think if the season ended today, they'd draw the Twins in the first round. Yeah, they? of course, because they always draw the Twins. Yeah. It's amazing. The Twins should just say, you know what, okay, we're waving a white flag. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's funny. It's funny. They, they play the Twins every freaking year. It's amazing. Uh-huh. The Twins are another team, though, that I, I just find it strange how they're so good because there's really no one on that team that jumps out to me. Plus 56 and run differential. Yeah, they, they slug their way to a lot of wins, too. And, you know, they have a lot of good hitters on the team, but I, I just 
you know. The White Sox are plus 70. And you know what was amazing? Because I decided, I said, let me look at the leaderboard here. Dallas Keuchel's ERA is 2.04. He's having a hell of a season, Keuchel. He really is. unreal that he's Mm -hmm. having that sort of a season. Yeah, it's looking like the White Sox made a good signing. No one wanted to commit long-term to him. That's why he sat out until about mid mid or late to July, right? When did he get picked up last season by the Braves? About right before the trading deadline, right? Or after it was like it was after July first, so they didn't have to uh, give up the draft pick. Yeah, I mean, White Sox look like they're gonna, you know, they got some, you know, between Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. I mean, you know, they 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 look like they have some good young talent there. Tim Anderson. I mean, Jose Abreu is having a month. He's having an MVP season. Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu kind of quietly. Oh my God! Fifty-six RBIs in fifty-five games. Andrew, he's third. He's third. He's third in average. He's first in hits. He's second in home runs. He's first in RBIs. He's third in runs scored. He's first in slugging percentage. I mean, it's unreal. It's unreal the, the season he's having. Unreal. So, yeah, I yeah, mean, the, the White the, Sox. The White Sox are going to be scary. Scary yeah, good. They're scary good. They are so. All right, I guess we could wrap it up here. We've pretty much covered enough here. Yeah, so we um, got a big slate of uh, of week three games, like we said before. Right, so you want to do your uh, what you call it over there? Um, rapid fire, right? Oh, I'm glad you reminded me because I totally forgot about it. Totally forgot about it. That's that's just a bad job out of me because I totally forgot about it. Okay, two weeks, so not a huge sample size. Um. But two games nonetheless to give me your answers to these questions. Uh, number one, team that you are most impressed with. Well, there's definitely a couple of teams I'm impressed with so far. One of them is definitely the Bills. I'm impressed with the Bills so far. I- I'm impressed with the Bills. And I think probably part of the reason is because you've never been a big fan of Josh Allen and he's played pretty well these first two weeks. Yeah, I'm definitely impressed with the Bills on one side as a winner. But you know another team that has impressed me, Andrew? And it's not that they were going to be a great team or anything like that. Probably not going to make the playoffs. But I'll tell you the truth. I'm impressed with the Jacksonville Jaguars, man. Because, you know, getting rid of Fournette and Gokway and, you know, Jalen Ramsey last year and losing all these guys and, you know, they dumped Nick Foles. They brought in Minshew and – you know, everybody thought they'd be tanking. And I tell you what, these first two games, they beat the Colts, and they could have easily won this game against the Titans. They could have been 2-0 easily. And not, not to kind of throw it in your face, but you did say on the air that you would you thought the Jaguars might not be able to win a game. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was wrong about that. They won one game. So, hey, listen, they could go <laughs> they could go 1-15, but you ask me after the first couple of weeks, the Jaguars have certainly impressed me. They really, really have. They really have. Uh, they, they've been competitive, and they could have easily been 2-0. Wouldn't that be a storyline if they're 2-0? Right? If the Jaguars went 2-0, they come around, they beat they, they beat, the, they beat the Colts, and then turn around and, and beat the Titans. If they would have won that game, they would have been two teams that were expected to make the playoffs. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm going to say the Bills, and I'm going to say the um, – and I tell you the truth, i got to give another – you got to give me a third one here. That's Arizona Cardinals because they would look very good too. I would. I thought you were going to say Oakland. Nah. Well, you know, I got to see Oakland. You know, I I got to see what Oakland does against New England. If New England, if they go into New England and beat New England, 
then I'll come back next week and say New England, <laughs> the Raiders are impressing me. I'm sorry. <laughs> not, to off, not, not to get off topic what, here. What I the got Mets the Mets do? game on. <laughs> Michael Conforto just built out, uh, beat out an infield hit with that tight hamstring yeah, of his. With the tight hamstring, of course. I know because <laughs> because 48 hours made a difference between him playing and not playing. Give me a break. <laughs> Unbelievable. Sorry. So go on to the next question. Make it up. All right. Next question. Team that you are most concerned with through the first two weeks. Hmm. Well, you expect well, it's got to be a team that you probably figured they should have made the playoffs. If that what you're thinking, correct? Uh, yeah, probably a team that you had uh, mid to high level expectations for. And well, you got to be you got to be concerned with the 49ers because of the injuries. Right. That's a concern. That's a big concern. Is the 49ers? The other team I think I'd be concerned with would probably be the Eagles, only because they're getting such poor play from Carson Wentz. You know, that's a team that was expected to probably win the division, if not compete with Dallas to win that division, NFC East. So I'd have to think those those are the two teams that uh, are my are my most concern, actually. Now, most people, most people, when asked that question, I would imagine most people would probably say the Vikings, but you said it before the yeah, season. But I, I asked you what like team you didn't yeah. think was going to make the playoffs that made the playoffs no. last year, and you said the Vikings. You were yeah. right on that. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't like the Vikings coming into this year. They lost too many good defensive players. You know, I'm not a big fan of Kirk Cousins. He's a just a competent quarterback at best. So yeah, I, I can't even say them because I expected the Vikings to be like this. This doesn't surprise me. So yeah, those two teams I'd have to say the 49 is more so because of the injury. So you have to be concerned with them. And the Eagles more because of it. You know, Carson Wentz does not look good at all. So okay. Uh, we hinted at this before very briefly when talking about Dan Quinn, um, first head coach to be fired in 2020. Mm. You know, it's rare that a coach does get fired pretty much in season. Uh, boy, oh, boy. It, it's pot, Well, they just gave him an extension, so I don't think it's going to be Mike Zimmer. I would have said Zimmer, but they gave him an extension, I believe before this season started. So I was going to say Zimmer. Um, you know, the, the one guy you have to look at is Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien, obviously, they gave him general manager duties as well. But somebody above him, I would have to look and, you know, look at the failed DeAndre Hopkins trade maybe. And maybe look at that and the fact that, you know, they're growing to – you know, you, you, you're giving all this money to Sean Watson, rightfully so. You're going to have to give him the money. But you know, I, I just don't see that. I, I've said that before the season started, too. I don't see the Texans being very good. I thought I had them at like 5-11. and 11. So I, I would think if there's going to be one guy, it would be him. My second guy would probably have to be Matt Patricia. I'm, I was going to say Matt Patricia. Doesn't look like uh, – it's another example, that Belichick coaching tree. You know, I never understood it because – I know Belichick's style has worked, but I, I, I don't know if that's the blueprint. And I think too many teams are trying to find that next Belichick. A lot of teams were trying to find the next McVay. You know, these guys don't grow on trees, you know. I, I just – to try to get somebody as a copycat of someone else, it, it rarely works. Well, I mean, again, Josh McDaniels as a head coach was short-lived, you know. Joe Judge is not a copycat of Belichick. Joe Judge seems like his own man, which I like actually. So Joe Judge seems like he's doing things a lot differently than than what Belichick would have done it because you would have never seen uh, Bill Belichick slide in the mud after a fumble while he's getting squirted with a hose. 
you know. So. By the way, did you um, see the way Belichick showed up to his press conference today? Oh my God! He talked about disheveled. Oh my, oh God. my goodness! Guy looks I like he it. hasn't showered or anything. That's great. You got any more like rapid fires? I like these. I like the questions. Yes, I have a couple more for you. Oh, okay. Go um, ahead. Rookie, you've been most impressed with through two weeks. Hey, Ceedee Lamb, I've been impressed with. I gave him the start on my fantasy team this week with Michael oh, Thomas out. He had a good week for I, me. I've been impressed with Ceedee Lamb, and I tell you, I'm—I mean, I understand he was the number one overall pick, but I'm really impressed with Joe Burrow. I'm impressed with Joe Burrow. Now, is yeah, that—is he just—are you impressed with Burrow um, because he's living up to expectations, or is he exceeding them? Uh probably both. Oh, so I, I, mean, I guess I guess a better way to put it were, are, his, are his expectations were his expectations low and he's exceeding them or did you have anybody, high anybody that watches football as much as me you and anybody else that listens to this podcast and anybody else outside in the world that watches football the way we do you know you, you don't you don't you just need to see the eye test with Joe Burrow you know and and it's just you could just see it with Joe Burrow man you could just see it. Boy, oh boy, you know, if anybody's going to lead the Bengals out of the doldrums, it it would be Joe Burrow. So he's been really, really impressive, really impressive. And CeeDee Lamb had a great, great, I tell you, he's had a couple of good games with the Cowboys so far. He's fit right in, man. And, of course, Edwards Hilaire has been, he's looked good. Edwards Hilaire has looked good with the Chiefs. But, you know, he's also in in a great system there, you know, with a great quarterback and a great coach on a Super Bowl team. But Halas looked terrific. So, you know, th- those are the three guys right now that really stand out to me. Okay, next question. Which 2-0 and team do you consider to be a fluke? The Bears. I knew you were going to say that, too. Knew it. There's no doubt. The Bears. I mean, look, they, you know, they beat a Lions team that continually chokes and can't get out of their own way. And they beat a giant team that really, you know, obviously Giants were one play away from beating them. I mean, listen, it's a loss is a loss, a win's a win. Don't get me wrong. But it's the best because I still don't believe in Trubisky. I still think Nagy is a terrible coach. And, you know, if they weren't 2-0, and if they were 0-2 right now, Nagy might have been one of the first guys I said that would have been fired. But it's definitely the best. And their defense will keep them in games too, but the Bears for sure, two and zero. There's no doubt which, in my mind. Which zero and two team do you believe has the best chance to turn it around? Mm. That's a good question, boy. Oh boy. So you got you got the the Falcons, you have the Vikings. Yes, I know. I don't I don't see the Vikings. Even the Falcons. I mean, if I had to take somebody in that category, it's not going to be the Texans, that's for sure. Certainly not the Jets or the Giants. I mean, I'd have to say, you know what? I'd have to say the Falcons on default, actually, because I still don't believe that the Falcons could turn it around. But if you had to, if I had to give you an answer, it would be it would be the Falcons, only because, you know, out of the other teams, they're just the best or the worst. Yeah, I, you know, I wrote that question down, and then as I was waiting for you to give the answer, I kind of took a gander at all the 0-2 teams, and, and I'm not sure if there are any that I think are capable no, of turning it around. I think, I think all the 0-2 teams are legitimately 0-2 they, teams. They, they deserve to be 0-2. Yeah. You yeah. Know? 
So I, I, I could see that how that would be a tough question. But I guess, yeah, that, then by default, I mean, I, I guess you could go with the Eagles. I know you said you were concerned about them, um, but at least the Eagles have a little bit of a track record of being successful in the past few years. So you can hope that maybe they're going to turn it around. Sometimes it catches up with you, though. You know, it catches up with you. I, I, I'm concerned about the Eagles. I, I just I think the Falcons, at least offensively, could put points up on the board that the Eagles cannot put points up on the board because the Eagles are struggling right now. Maybe Miles Sanders helps to write that. He had a good game uh, last week, uh, Miles Sanders, when he came back in, in his uh, debut for 2020, um, week two. But I, I have a problem with Carson Wentz. They have a lot of injuries on that offensive line. Uh, they don't have any big playmakers at the wide receiver spot. Um, and defensively, they're good, but they're not great. So okay. I just and I just feel like the Falcons are dominant on the on the offensive side of the ball. So the the NFC I left out of here because I guess it's up for debate with people as far as who the best teams are. Um, but I think in the AFC, number one and number two, whether you think they're interchangeable or not, is the Chiefs and the Ravens. Yeah, they're playing so each my, other Monday night. So my question is, after the Chiefs and the Ravens, who is the third best team in the AFC? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with the Steelers because you know what? You, you're seeing things out of out of out of your boy Big Ben right now that you, you're confident in him. As long as he stays healthy, he's looked very good. He's looked good. Their defense is a championship defense. Again, stay healthy. Their championship defense. Um, they, they have playmaking wide receivers. Schuster looks good. Deontay Johnson looks good. Uh, you know, Connor looked good the other day. I mean. You know, and, and Big Ben looks very good. I mean, Ben looks good. So I, I think I think it's a no-brainer as the Steelers are the next best team after that. So this wasn't a part of the rapid fire. That was my last question. Superb job on the rapid fire. But my next question, because you brought up Deontay Johnson, was a fantasy question. I know I asked you for some advice last week. I went with C.D. Lamb, and uh, that paid dividends because he had a good week. Um, so this week, obviously, uh, Christian McCaffrey is on IR. Mm-hmm. So he's out of my lineup. And then Raheem Mostert, who is my flex, uh, he's now out of the lineup too. So my one running back is Austin Eckler. Uh, so that means I needed a I need a second running back and I need a flex. So I think you look at Eckler, I tell you, Joshua Kelly, man, he's been getting a lot of love from the Chargers. He he has. He has, which is um, a lot of people of- that spent an early round pick on Austin Eckler right now, a little disappointed. I know it's looking like Joshua Kelly is going to is going to take all those red zone carries away from him, too. I mean, Eckler is still going to get if you're in a PPR league, Eckler is still going to get his his catches out of the backfield. And he's still going to be able even but his bad is, weeks are not going to be that bad. The problem is Captain Checkdown's no longer there and Philip Rivers and Rivers was the ultimate checkdown guy, whether he threw to his backs out of the backfield or he threw it to his tight end. Hunter Henry, you know, I well, mean, you know what? That's I kind of figured, though, that. With Tyrod Taylor, not the air it out type guy, that he might be the type to check it down to him. Yeah, but Tyrod Taylor is the type of guy that if he doesn't see his, if he doesn't see his first read and it's not that, there, tucks it away and runs. That's the issue. That's that's the, that's the, that's issue, the issue. But I was kind of hopeful that maybe a, because he doesn't throw the ball down the field, you would probably cue his first option as the running back. No, that was that was even, my that was my hope. That's not even an, that's not even an option from it's is tuck it and go. That's it. Yeah. It's un, it's unbelievable. So anyway, so my I, I needed a running back. Um, so I have Antonio Gibson on my bench. Uh, so I slotted him into running back too. I tried to pick up Jarek McKinnon on waivers. Someone beat me to it. Uh, so I picked up 
uh, Dion Lewis, but that was before Devontae Freeman. I would probably well, imagine that Lewis will probably get the bulk of the touches this week. For sure, yeah. Well, hey, I, I'm sure they're going to address Goldman. I'm sure Dion Lewis will be in on obvious passing downs because he is a very good pass blocker, and he'll be on, you know, he'll be in, you know, just to he'll probably catch five or six balls this week, Dion Lewis. Um, and I'm sure they're going to address Goldman along with Freeman. Freeman, you'll probably see maybe get eight, ten touches, maybe. You know, I, I'm sure they'll split it up, and and Lewis will probably get a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the passing down work. So. So do you think Lewis would be a better option than Gibson? No, I think actually Gibson's a better option. Uh, actually, with Gib- Lewis going against a depleted San Francisco defense. Gibson's look good. Yeah. Yeah, he's looked good. He's looked a, he's looked good, Antonio Gibson. And more and more, they're starting to plug him into that into that offense. That's what I was leaning towards. And now I need a flex, and my two options at well now three options at flex. I have Deion Lewis. I have Marvin Jones and I have Deontay Johnson. Now I was thinking Johnson, but I don't know if I'm just being a biased Steeler fan. So had a terrific game last week, Deontay Johnson. He did. He did. You get that ball, the guy, the he. You get that guy the ball in open field, and he he just he doesn't stop moving. Well, you know the thing with Marvin, thing with Marvin Jones is Galladay's supposed to play this week, but if Galladay plays, he'll get shadowed by Patrick Peterson. Now, Patrick Peterson was also shadowing um, Terry McLaurin last week, and McLaurin had a terrific game. So, you know, uh, look, you could go with Marvin Jones. You could go with Deontay Johnson. Coming off the game that he had, I, I think the, the higher upside is Deontay Johnson over Marvin Jones. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Marvin Jones had a big game against the Cardinals this week for some reason because I think in the past he's had – and, again, I'm looking at that being a high-scoring game. You know, Marvin Jones, I've had him in past years, and it's the same story with him. I play him. He does nothing. I keep you him don't on the play bench. Him he goes crazy. <laughs> I mean, he's just the king of doing that every single season. And I'm afraid that that's going to burn me again, but – Listen, uh-uh. but you know what? That, listen, it, it, it seems like the number one receiver on the Steelers right now is Deontay Johnson over the first couple of games. I mean, you would probably know better than me, but, you know, I've watched both games because obviously they played week one against the Giants and week two I watched most of that game a- anyway against the Broncos. And, and it looks like – look, Schuster is going to get the ball himself, but it looks like Deontay Johnson is going to be that – He's that guy. I mean, to me, he's got a bigger upside than uh, than Schuster, Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, I think so, too. And and the only consolation of this whole thing is that the, the team I'm playing against this week, uh, his running back was Saquon Barkley, and his flex was Tevin Coleman. So he's in the same boat as me this week with having to replace a running back and a flex. He's if his um, flex was Tevin Coleman, what the hell does the rest of his roster look like? Um. Tevin Coleman's a tough guy to have for a flex. My God, so, you got to have so something better than that. He's got his two running backs are Barkley and Aaron Jones. That's and nice. He had Coleman as his flex. Um, so his two receivers, receivers were Juju so. and Keenan Allen. Who's he got on his bench that he played Coleman over them? Uh, Sammy Watkins, Devin Singletary, Mike Williams, on Johnson, Julian Edelman. Jeez, how do you sit Edelman? What are you kidding me? You can't say Edelman that. Edelman had a game. Edelman you cannot had himself say, a game. 
cannot see Julian Edelman at any time over for Tevin Coleman, who's the third running back. Right? I mean, they play most of it. They play McKinnon. I mean, even last year when Coleman was supposed to be the starter, they weren't even using him that much. Boy, that's a guy I'd like to have in my league. <laughs> well, the only problem is he can't play Coleman this week, so now he might have to make the the, the sound decision against. You don't me. Sit Julian Edelman for Tevin Coleman. In fact, you know what? You don't even sit. I would play. I would have played Mike Williams over him. So. And you know what's surprising too, because he's a Chargers fan. Jeez. Well, maybe that's I guess why maybe he didn't want to go with Keenan Allen and yeah. Mike Williams in the same lineup. Yeah, I mean sometimes you don't want that guy, but you know you, you you look at some of the big pickups this week. You know you're probably looking at the running backs, Mike Davis, Jarek McKinnon, if you can get him, Deion Lewis, Devontae Freeman. Uh, a lot of a lot of guys did draft Devontae Freeman. Uh, even Miles Gaskin, another guy from Miami who seems like he's I, getting most of the touches when everybody I thought him it was, up in one of my leagues too. Yeah, everybody yeah. thought it was going to be Howard and Breida, and meanwhile it's going it's Miles Gaskin getting everything. He's getting you know all, all three all three downs. So I see a lot of people picking up Keelan Cole from Jacksonville too. Yeah, I see that too. And, you know, I, I was a big DJ Chalk fan coming into this year. He's on most of my teams. And, you know, he, he's had two good games. He scored one touchdown so far, but they're not giving him a lot of the volume. Um, they seem to like uh, LaVishka Chenault and, and Keelan Cole. But DJ Shock's a big playmaker. I'm expecting a big game out of DJ Shock. So if you have him on your roster, anybody yes. that might listen to this before the game, get him in your lineup tomorrow. He, he did come up questionable with a chest injury, but he should play. Obviously, keep track of that before as the game. As long as the doctor doesn't try to give him a cortisone shot. Oh, my God, please. That's crazy. That's crazy. All right. All right. So we covered enough. Another fun episode. Uh, yeah. We have full week three slate of games coming up. As we said, Jaguars and Dolphins on Thursday night to kick it off. And then uh, just a real intriguing weekend of football. A lot of games where uh, just not even from a spread perspective, like I said before, just as far as picking a winner, uh, a bunch of games that could go – both ways uh we wrap up the mlb season um and by the time we get on the air next week we'll probably get on next wednesday night like we've been doing the past few weeks to recap yeah, we'll do a little the NFL. bit of a baseball playoff preview i guess we'll have to do yeah, that. The, the uh the playoff bracket will be set um so we'll get into all that good stuff next time as always you can follow me on my twitter account it's where i uh post the links to the episode and any other pertinent information with the podcast my twitter handle is andrew may underscore 21 again that's andrew may underscore 21 you can also follow me on instagram a underscore may 21 that's a underscore may 21 and you'll find all the goods as far as the podcast on those two platforms we had a lot of fun we'll be back next week to talk everything nfl everything mlb playoffs and any other good stuff that might occur as the week goes on. For Rob Dufresne, I'm Andrew May. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time.